Happy Mayhem and welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. We are moving from the regular season into postseason mode. The mindset has shifted. Clean slate. Let's go. Gray Robertson, Tom Canterbury back in the studio. Tom, hello. How are you? I'm good. I'm glad I decided to uh, beat the traffic after the sixth inning on Sunday. I assume everything went well. Wait, is that why there was so much silence? <laughs> oh, man. Uh, we'll talk about it Yes, coming up very soon. Other than that, I'm great. I, hey, I'm good, too. We got some chocolate-covered potato chips mm-hmm. that we've been enjoying lately and will enjoy on the plane to the SEC tournament because I've saved a couple. And we've got a lot to discuss on this edition of the Out of the Box podcast. Of course, we will start at the plate and look at the University of Alabama. Have you heard of them? <laughs> the series with Ole Miss and all the good and then the bad that popped up at the very end that was as bad as it possibly could be when it comes to the bad. Yeah. It was a great weekend that turned into just a good weekend because of the ending. Uh, but there is a lot of really good, and we'll talk about it. Really frustrating that it ended the way that it did. Totally. And then we'll look ahead, of course, because – Despite what some people might say, the season's actually not over yet. We've got the postseason and the SEC tournament coming up as we record, Tom. We are leaving for Fayetteville tomorrow. And so, as many of you are listening, the SEC tournament might already be underway. You might already know who Alabama's playing. Yeah, it's very possible. And an interesting setup now for the Crimson Tide. The other frustrating thing about what happened on Sunday was you blew a chance to have an opportunity to have that top four seed and get that by because... Missouri did beat Arkansas, but that didn't happen. So Alabama is the fifth seed. And now you're the only team that has no idea who you're going to play that is playing on Wednesday because you play that play-in game winner. So uh, it's a tough situation, but it is what it is. And you keep on rolling. After that, we'll advance to first and preview the rest of the SEC tournament. We'll do our SEC awards check-in. We'll do FGCL Player of the Week. And we'll do it all, Tom, with Kayla Bro. Wow. Very excited to talk to Bro as she's... Already in Fayetteville, ready to get things rolling on ESPN. Yeah, it's going to just be rocking and rolling at the desk. After that, buckle up, America. We're stealing second. It's the Out of the Box in the Circle crossover event with Victor Anderson and Eric Lopez as we do our usual yearly roundtable discussion about all things softball. Yep, the return of the home and home, and I'm happy to be here for this one. So yes. it's going to be a lot of fun. Well done, Tom. Thank you. Rounding third is just bracketology. Again, because I'm sure everything is focused we're all ready to go. We know exactly what's happening bracketology-wise. Why even play the tournaments? Right. Because when we head home, we're going to go in-depth with our picks on the SEC tournament. Oh, goodness. And we will reveal how things finished up in the regular season. I made some hopeful picks that I know did not turn out. I had some things that almost made it really, really interesting. Ah. But more on that later. Mm-hmm. Also off the wall. I'm shocked there's off the wall this week. I mean, can you believe it? (laughs) Just. Anyway. Yes. The Alabama Ole Miss series. Uh Alabama wins game one. Perfect game for Montana Fouts. Wins game two. 3-1 victory. Jenna Johnson, the home run. Game three, tied ahead. 4-1. We go to the bottom of the seventh. I've already started to adjust the board as if Alabama's won. I've done that a lot over the years. It's never been an issue before. But turned out to be one, and I had to use a little bit more wide out on Sunday as Ole Miss walked it off to win 5-4. Curiously, the first walk-off loss 
in the career of Montana Fouts, which we will get to, I'm sure, in just a bit. But we never start there. We start with the good. And, oh, there was so much good this weekend. You can make the argument, Tom, 80, 85% of the weekend was according to plan. And it all started with Montana's perfect game. Yeah, it doesn't get any better, obviously, than a perfect game. Montana totally dominant on Friday. And then in addition to that, we saw the offense really perform almost to the you know the height of their of their uh, abilities it was a great day all the way around all three aspects were just spot on in the in a dominating six inning win obviously the perfect game yeah it was phenomenal and the one negative of that game was Allie Shipman going down and not being available the rest of the weekend but again more on that in just a bit Jenna's home running game too I talked about it in post game. We talked about it on the air. Alabama has been looking for the hit capital T capital H capital E hit. And they got it from Jenna Johnson. And we've been wondering when this team would show that they could come back when they could show that, that they could make a push in a seventh inning, because we had not seen that this year at a time. Oh, and 13 when trailing after six. And it was a really, really, really good sign I think going into the postseason that this team got that moment from one of their more experienced leaders in the lineup. Yeah, it was great to see Alabama come through and it be Jenna Johnson who got that opportunity to come through because, you know, she did the interview with uh, Tara Henry from D1 Softball afterwards. And uh, she was able, you know, she talked about several times where she specifically had been in uh, a position to come through in that spot in the seventh inning. She was basically in the same exact scenario in the Auburn game. Right. And wasn't able to do it. Uh, and it, that, and it's not just a Jenna Johnson issue. It was a entire team issue because there was uh, most of the losses this year. Alabama had the tying and or winning run, you know, on deck, either at the plate or on base in the seventh inning and wasn't able to come through and complete a comeback. Uh, but was able to do it on Saturday. It was just so great to see you finally get the evidence and, and the proof of concept of we've been telling you, you know, you have the capability, you're, everyone believes in you, we think you're going to be able to do it, and for it to finally work out was so great to see and, and hopefully a corner-turning moment for this team offensively. Absolutely. Larissa Pruitt, your SEC Freshman of the Week, and maybe year outside chance. Kind of a a late, you know, Angel of Empire-esque run at the Freshman of the Year Hopefully she'll be able to finish it off, unlike Angel of Empire. Well, don't even ask about Tappet Trice. Uh, But on the weekend, Larissa Pruitt, 8 for 11, three RBIs, three doubles, 727 in batting average, 727 OBP, stole a base, was just really, really good. And did it in a lot of different ways, too. Right, yeah, I mean, and was able to do it from different spots in the order as well. Was right. all the way up to the two hole in game three and performed equally well there. A great all around weekend for Larissa Pruitt, and just you know, looking at what this offense was able to do up and down, it's it's a lot easier to have success when somebody else is having success either in front or behind you. And you know, the good hit, the good hitting from Larissa Pruitt was contagious up and down. Yeah, Ashley Prangy hit 500, Kelly Hevlin hit 500, Emma Broadfoot hit 444. Like, you had a lot of people doing really good things. For the most part, Bailey Dowling and Kenley Cahalen were pretty quiet in this series, and the offense still put up 16 runs. So you'll absolutely take that every day of the week and twice on Sunday. Yeah. And maybe you needed it twice on Sunday. Unfortunately, yeah. But, 
you know, you'll want to see a little bit more from Dowling and Gahalen moving forward. Like you said, I think it's a it's important to know that this offense can score, uh, can hit, even if a couple of your, you know, you know, the ones that have the most pop or the people that you're expecting to get the hits aren't really coming through. Uh, it's it's still a offense that uh, anyone can be successful in. Okay, to the bad. There was just like a 20-minute stretch where I was really, really not enjoying my job. I don't really know what happened. I don't really know how it happened. We've talked about the snowball effect, and if you were sitting at home saying, what does that mean, the snowball, what does that mean? You literally saw it in the bottom of the seventh in that third game against Ole Miss. Just something happened, something weird where Ole Miss found it and Alabama totally lost it. I mean, everybody, it felt like, just lost their heads yeah. for about 10 minutes. And it's it's almost unexplainable, honestly, how it happened. I saw a lot of people on, on social media saying, why did he put Jayla Torrance in? Why, why didn't he pull Jayla for, for Montana in the seventh? Well, because there was zero indication that Jayla was doing anything wrong right. in the seventh inning. And then all of a sudden, two fat pitches that are hit way out over dead center field and Montana comes in and I know she was warming up at some point. I don't know what she was doing right specifically at that moment, but just it, it all happened so fast. And before you knew it, Ole Miss was celebrating and we were doing a sad post game. It was one of the more inexplicable turn of events of my nine years doing Alabama, Alabama play by play. It was the only comparison I could think was was Florida State in 2020. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you know you not only force it, but the North Carolina game, so yeah, right. and, and Tallahassee as well. But but even those that there was at least there was some indication that or and you knew Florida State offensively, and there was some idea they gotten hits earlier in the game. They had scored runs. You know, it was just I, it happened just on a turn of a dime. And, you know, like you said, Jayla Torrance had pitched two scoreless innings in relief. Um, I think the reason why you put Jayla in to begin with was, it, you know, Salty had done really well through two times through the order, and you didn't want to see them uh, get a third shot at Salter. And you have a different look with Jayla Torrance, and it was working really well. And then that bottom of the order, um, it was very similar to what Alabama was able to do the game before. Because if you look at it, you know, try to take it all into perspective the entire weekend, the series probably should have ended up 2-1. As great as the seventh inning was for Alabama on Saturday, the Tide really hadn't been able to do a whole lot offensively at all until that point in the game on Saturday. So really, Ole Miss probably outplayed the Crimson Tide on Saturday, and Alabama outplayed Ole Miss on Sunday until that seventh inning, too. So the series should have been 2-1, but just with different victories or different teams winning on Saturday and Sunday. I mean, to your point, I'm looking at the six, four, three win probability that's available on D one softball.com. What a website mm. Ole Miss in game two, their highest win probability in that game was 84.97. That was on Saturday. That was when Abby Dukeshire flew out to center and there were two outs. And I would make the argument 84% is a little bit too low. Yeah. Alabama's best on Sunday was 99.46%. My gosh. That just tells you how improbable it was that both of those endings happened the way that they did. Yeah. The most important thing now is for Alabama to take all the the good things that happened, you know, keep that in and not let 
a bad 15 minutes ruin what was a really good weekend for you to wrap up the regular season. Right. And and to make sure that you put all the good stuff in the memory bank, this was, I think, the most complete. I I know Caitlin Riley did a lot of good stuff in in the majority game, too. I think this is the best offensive weekend we've seen this year in conference play In, in terms of the plan. You know, even with Caitlin Riley, there weren't a ton of bad at bats yeah. there was just you know good defense and balls that didn't have eyes that had gotten through the day before and then they did all of a sudden in the seventh yeah. but i think that alabama did so much good that you know i really don't even have much i want to adjust no. from it honestly i think though at this point you would hope at this you don't need to learn this lesson because you've learned it before but just know that just because you have the lead don't allow more scoring opportunities to go by the wayside. True. And Alabama did There were did a that. couple. Alabama did it on Sunday. There were several other opportunities where you could have added to the lead, given your, off, given your pitching staff a little bit more cushion, and left a few runs on the table. That could have been very big, uh, obviously, with what happened in the seventh. Right. And, of course, all of this, even the comeback win, under the shadow of the absence of Allie Shipman, I've already gotten multiple DMs. Let me let you know right now, we do not know her status. Uh, we will find out either if Coach Murphy makes a, a public statement, which I don't think we have media before we go to Fayetteville, so I, I would doubt that'll happen, or on the pregame show. Like the moment we get the lineups and we ask Patrick Murphy about it yeah. before Wednesday's game, uh, once that game comes around, you'll hear either she's in the lineup or she's not, and that'll be your update until probably the next day should Alabama remain in Fayetteville. Yeah, I, the, on Friday, she took two consecutive back-to-back foul balls directly into the face mask and the helmet, and then you know not available on Saturday or Sunday. So we know that she's in, in the protocol, but we don't know the, you know the severity of that protocol. So um, we'll, we'll see. Hopefully she is available, because I, I think Alabama, to make a significant run in the SEC tournament, will need the bad of Allie Shipman. And not even just that, but I think the leadership as well. I thought yeah. Marley Giles did a fine job uh, covering for her as the catcher starter after not catching for a, a hot second, mainly playing in center field. I, I thought she did fine. There were, however, I think a couple moments where the the leadership aspect of, of Allie Shipman was missing, and that's something that Marley will grow into. Yeah. But she's a freshman. You know, I, I think, you know, there was the ill-advised fielder's choice opportunity in that seventh inning from Ole Miss where Emma Broadfoot took the ground ball and instead of taking the out at first, she tried to get the lead runner at second uh, and ended up getting nobody out. If Allie Shipman's there, she's maybe screaming a little bit more forcefully, one, 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 get the, get, go to first. And Marley might've been, but yeah, I, I think you might, that Allie might've been able to have a little bit more bravado there and, and to get uh, Emma to take the the out at first base because that ended up being obviously a big play. Right, and I will say this, you know, you miss Allie Shipman's bat, you miss her leadership. I think Alabama would be fine in the first game in the SEC tournament without Allie, you know, considering what we've seen from Missouri and seen from Mississippi State. I think the bigger question as we transition to the SEC tournament is when do you pitch Tana? It's an interesting debate because – you look at Mississippi State, and I've already seen, again, 
Facebook being like, Montana's got to pitch every game. Well, Alex Salter is a complete game shutout against Mississippi State. Right. So Montana does not have to pitch no. every game. Now, Missouri, that was a much dicier proposition for all three of Earth, Wind, and Fire. So partially, I kind of tend to lean towards, you know, who the opponent is might depend on what the pitching strategy is. But again, we'll see. I do know this, if Alabama does win this game, you want to have Montana 100% ready to go to face Arkansas the next night, considering it's in Fayetteville and considering what could be on the line when those two teams play. That's the other thing about what happened this weekend. Not only do you miss the opportunity to be a top four seed, but also because Auburn won and Arkansas lost, they flip-flop 3-4. So now as the five seed, you have to take on the host Arkansas Razorbacks in the second game should you win your first game on Wednesday. So uh, I think you kind of made it a little bit tougher all the way around considering your path now uh, if you're Alabama. But uh, I think it, it would it would surprise me if Montana Fouts is a starter in the first game. Uh, I think you go with Alex Salter, you go with Earth, Wind, and Fire, you see if you can, you can get that win so that uh, Montana is at 100% in full rest for that second week in that for that second game and then then i have no problem with her going back to back after that for right sure. she's done it right that's before. what she does yeah lineups again this one is hard similar to the way we addressed it when prangy was hurt you know it's hard to say without shipman um if shipman's not available marla giles is your catcher if shipman is available then i would think we saw enough from Kristen white this past weekend to maybe keep her in center but tbd yeah, and then I think the other question becomes, do you leave Larissa, Larissa Pruitt in the two-hole? And I'm thinking about that. A lot of that has to do as well with Ali Shipman's availability. Right. Um, because uh, Kenley Cahalan has still, you know, she, she finally got a double to fall because she continues to lead the world in hard-hit balls that are caught by somebody. She hasn't been able to put up the numbers that we saw earlier in the year from her. Do you want to continue to leave her down? But if she does get hot then you'll obviously want that extra at-bat from her being at the top of the order instead of in the six six hole. Right. So it, it's it's a tough situation all the way around, but I think the fact that you have seen Larissa Pruitt really come on strong here lately uh, gives you a little bit more confidence of leaving her in the two spot. Yeah, I, I love Larissa in the two spot. Early in the year, we both had her. Like, you know, before a right. game had been played, we sure. both had her either in the nine, the one, or the two. Mm-hmm. And to kind of see that potential blossom into production has been really, really fun. And it does provide an interesting little wrinkle to Alabama's lineup because I, I really like Jenna Johnson in the leadoff spot. She seems to have totally just embraced that role. Yeah. And that's a great sign. Then, you know, ideally, you've got Pruitt two, Prangy three ship four, Dowling five, or you can flip there and maybe Kahalen as a quote unquote second lead off in the sixth spot. And then I think you're, you're in business yeah. right there. I like it. Now, hopefully uh, the health of everybody will allow that to happen. Anything else you want to touch on Tom, as we get ready for the postseason? Because again, I just want to make sure this is reinforced. There was so much good this weekend and I saw way too many skies fallings from people. And I'll be honest, I felt it a little bit too on Sunday. Sure. Sunday, Sunday was, as tough a post game as we've done, I think, since 2017. But then we got in the car and I was looking at the numbers and the stats and thinking more about it. And I was like, well, daggum. I mean, there yeah. was so much good that happened this weekend. I think Alex Salter's performance in game three 
another really positive aspect, that big strikeout that she got in the fourth inning was phenomenal. I mean, I understand if you want to sound the alarm bells, but I'm not, and I don't believe you are either, Tom. No, and I think also something that fans of Pacific teams don't like to do, but I think you give credit a little bit to Ole Miss too, what they're doing, you know. Alabama, like, ripped away what would have been a monumental win on Saturday on their senior day. I I don't think that we've we've talked about that enough. This was, you know, everything going into Saturday, Montana throwing the perfect game on Friday, like everything pointed to Ole Miss having a rebound and finding a way to win on Saturday. Right. And Alabama, you know, snatched it from them in the seventh with that three-run homer down to their, not their final strike, but their final out. Now, that was a two-out, three-run homer by, by Janet Johnson. If she doesn't come through there, Ole Miss wins the game. Right. You had that, and then you just totally dominated the Rebels for six innings. At some point, they were going to get some hits. And, it, you know, I didn't – at not necessarily back-to-back homers and then, you know, Montana not being able to get anybody out type inning. That was – I'm not saying that's that that was a foregone conclusion. But Ole Miss wasn't going to go that quietly. That they're they're not a scrub team. Not defending that stadium. Uh, no, for gosh. the final time, the, the very last time that anyone was going to do a game from the world's smallest press box, they were they were not going to allow that. So I mean, I think you have to give some credit to what Ole Miss was able to do in the seventh inning, right? And not just look at Alabama blew it. Well, Ole Miss, you know, they they put something together and, and made it happen. Yeah, and they had five hits going into the seventh. And how many times, Tom, did we watch the replay and? I say, well, that's just a good piece of hitting. You yeah. know, they they hit some good stuff. There was there was no bloopers that fell right. during that seventh inning. Everything they hit was square. Right. So I mean, I think you you know you take a look. If you're Alabama, you obviously internalize it and you and you figure out what you did wrong. But at the same time, there's some you know cap tipping you should do to what Ole Miss was able to do in that seventh inning. Speaking of cap tipping, before we put it in play, thank you to Finley Traxel. Oh, yes. For just being the cutest daggum dog in maybe the world, if not the universe. The snuggles were just, you could, so fluffy. We met Finley. Yes. Cheerios were exchanged, as were the chocolate-covered potato chips. We're basically best friends now. Basically. I mean, Finley, Ilya Millie, thank you to, to head coach Jamie Traxel and everybody who helped out to make sure that this meeting occurred. And I was literally, I, I was so happy yeah. Saturday walking in to see Finley. Like I was on cloud nine. That was, that was just the most delightful way to start a day. According to the Twitter of Finley Traxel, she wasn't real excited about our home run celebration on Saturday. I get it. Understood. Yeah. Not going to apologize for it, but we understand. Yeah. And then, you know, got it back the next That's day. That's right. That's what see, happens. It's sports. <laughs> such yes. is life. And you know what? <laughs> Thank you. To Finley. <laughs> Thank you for existing. Yes. Honestly. I like every team should have a team dog. I totally agree. Yes. And also, Tom, in your nine years, have you ever added a name on the opposing team staff rundown before? Typically it's a head coach and the three assistants, that's and all, then we're done. That, and that's we all move you on. get. That's all you get. And I might make a comment about how much I love this assistant or this head coach right. and blah, yeah. blah, blah. We've never added an extra name. No. Until now. Yes. Team dog, the Finley Traxel. The team dog got named all three days. Absolutely. So, Finley, thank you. Mm-hmm. Traxels, thank you. Everybody, thank you. Let's put it in play and go eat some chocolate covered potato chips. What do you say, Tom? Sounds good to me. Okay. Who should we be? I think since he's about to come on the podcast, 
We should be All-American Caleb Bro. We're throwing it back! Yes! That's what we do. Broski is here. Caleb Bro from the SEC Network will be joining us when we return here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. Screw Robertson, Tom Canterbury. When it's the postseason time, you switch things up. You know, sure. We've had like the same rundown for five years. Why not mix things up a little bit ahead of conference tournament week? Seems like a great time to do it. Yes, five years know, in, yes. change the tradition, and we change it with one of our favorites as we advance the first here on the show. Caleb Rowe, the All-American, ESPN, SEC Network, Rally Cap, every close to the weekend on the SEC Network. Bro, you're already in Fayetteville. How are you? I'm excellent. Like, this is my favorite week of the year. I love the SEC tournament. I think it is the best conference tournament in the entire country, and we get fantastic softball. I am just praying for good weather at this point. As we all are, yes. I mean, what the heck? What happened? Uh, Come on. Yeah. Yeah. Good weather. Good vibes. Yes. Yeah. I mean, we go to Fayetteville in the regular season. It's cold. We go in the postseason. It's raining. Why? Uh, why? We like, we like skip. It was weird. I feel like we skip spring. It's like summer's here now. It's like hot, it's humid, stepped off the plane. I was like, all right, we're in Fayetteville. Let's go. <laughs> Ooh. Oh man. Well, before the games are underway on Tuesday, amazing that the tournament as we record starts tomorrow, uh, they're going to toss out some SEC awards and usually before the SEC tournament, we'd like to check in on some of the races. Bro, I love that we can get your perspective as well on some of these. We start with SEC Player of the Year. Perhaps we don't need anyone's perspective because it's quite clear the winner's going to be Skylar Wallace, right? Yeah, without a doubt. I think, honestly, like, the more I watch her play, she seems to me like she's the best player in the country. Like, that's crazy. She is – Florida, I think, and I said this on Rally Cap yesterday, but I mean it. Like, I think they have, like – maybe 10 or more losses more than they already have if they don't have her on the roster like that's how impactful she is from a run production standpoint from an offensive threat like Charlotte's not as good if Skylar Wallace isn't in the lineup Kendra Falby's not as good if Skylar's not in the lineup so I think what she's able to do uh, on the field hitting away base running the pressures that she puts on opposing pitchers what she did to hit pitchers like Ashley Rogers this year and the entire Tennessee staff for that matter that's what sets her apart it's crazy and then pitching wise, it's still coming down to the three: uh, Batty Penta at Auburn, Montana Fouts at Alabama, Ashley Rogers at Tennessee. Uh, they all have certain numbers and stats that are in their favor, and then a couple that are against them. So, who do you think comes away with that hardware? Oh my gosh, who do I think comes away with it? it looks different to me than who should maybe come away with it. Uh, answer it both ways, because I have so- a different answer as well. Uh, I think Ashley Rogers comes away with it because she's the best pitcher on the best team with no losses. And historically, like I'm just going on historically what the coaches value. It's best pitcher, best team, like the least amount of losses. I don't think losses are as big of a deal because I think it's so determined on what your offense does a lot of the time. So I'm looking at strikeouts, earned run average, um, what you do and the number of innings you throw, how valuable you are to your team. And for that, uh, Maddie Penta and Montana Fouts set themselves apart. 
And what's really, really tough is I think I would have said that on Saturday, Montana Fouts should win it. And on Sunday, I'm saying Maddie Penta should win it. And it sucks that that couple innings at Ole Miss is really what's going to hurt her. And I feel for her because she didn't need to be in that position at all. And unfortunately, the way the game played out, it ended up being like that. Uh, again, just the fact that Maddie Penta won on Sunday, that's could be the difference, which is crazy. That's brutal. Ugh. That's brutal. I mean, because I'm with I you. I know it's brutal, but like it's it happened. It it's, sucks. It, it's literally one bad inning, but like and yeah. like you said, shouldn't have ever come to that spot. Uh, yeah. And, and it's two days after she threw a freaking perfect game. I know. Uh, that's and that's just, what else is crazy. Uh, it's it's nuts. And the other thing, I think, again, I. It, <laughs> I have so much, like, I think Montana Fouts and Maddie Pendish should be on the top 10 list for player of the year nationally. Like, I have a tremendous amount of respect for those two. Um, Maddie Penta has one less loss now, I think, or maybe two less losses. I can't remember off the top of my head. And, again, she won the head-to-head. So when you think about all those little things, I, I tell Maddie Penta. And yeah. both of them are extremely talented. And Montana has it in her. She's got the intangibles, I think, that set her apart for me. But unfortunately that's not what the uh, coaches are looking at on paper yeah I mean I think Maddie Pinta is gonna win it uh I would be totally down with a Pinta Fouts Co situation because I think mm, even yeah. even with that yeah. little third of an inning I guess was all it was yeah technically against Ole Miss uh the numbers are still pretty even to the Ashley Rogers point and we can use that as kind of a segue to freshman of the year Tennessee is going to win something beyond coach. Karen Weekly is probably going to be the SEC coach of the year, but somebody is going to get something. And so I think if it's not Carlin Pickens for freshman, then we could see Rodgers take pitcher. If Pickens wins freshman, I think they would vary it up. I don't know. And there's, because here's the other thing. Here's what works in Montana's favor is she has shut out so many different teams in the SEC. So a lot of different teams are going to vote for her because they say, oh God, she destroyed us. Right. I think I think that's a great point, Gray, and something that I think the fans are going to like recognize. I think the voting's going to be really, really tight because depending on who you play, if you ask, like, if you don't play Tennessee and you don't see how good Ashley Rogers is, like firsthand, your players don't come back to the dugout and say, "I don't know what to do against this girl." Like, it could skew the coach's view of that player. So, I think that's another important thing for all the fans to remember as this voting comes into play is that. Who you who's on your schedule matters too, which is nuts. It's a hard thing. We got a lot of teams in this conference. You don't play everybody. Yeah, and and freshman of the year is suddenly more wide open as well. I've got four nominees down here, and and bro, we can you know discuss it if we want. I've got Carlin Pickens. She seemed like the front runner, but things have faded a bit. You know, similar to Tappet Trice in the Kentucky Derby, just didn't have enough. Sydney Burzon at LSU. I've got Reagan Johnson at Arkansas, and then. Like buttress, Tom. Mm. Larissa Pruitt is on my list from Alabama. The this week's SEC Freshman of the Week, who all of a sudden has ridiculous numbers in conference play compared read to the other to freshmen. Read them out to me. Read them. Read them out to me. Three thirty nine in SEC play. That's good for top ten batting average. Nine RBIs. She had four a week ago. Three doubles. That's more than Reagan Johnson. Four hundred three OBP. Six for seven stolen bases. That's top ten of the league. Like there, and this wow. was not the case a week ago. Yeah, you know it's it's interesting, and this is not a knock on the athletes, but the freshman of the year race has been really, really. Um, there just hasn't been any freshman other than maybe Carlin Pickens early in the year that stood out as somebody that's been dominant. 
I feel like in the past, we've had these really electric freshmen that are coming through and it's a really clear cut race. But this is the first time that you asked me who the freshman of the year is. And I was like, yeah, it's kind of a toss up. And none really are like that fantastic this year. Again, it's not a dig on the freshman. It's just how it plays out. I think the transfer portal completely changes the value of the freshman. And, and we're definitely seeing that because the upperclassmen, you're getting those fifth year seniors because of the COVID year. It's a lot harder to be a freshman of the league today than it was um, back in the day. So I think the freshman of the year race is, it could go to anybody at this point. And I, I'd be like, oh, okay. <laughs> That's how I feel about it. It's uh, not much, but it is what it is. So if it does come down to the hitters uh, between Pruitt and Johnson, Pruitt has better numbers almost across the board in conference play. Mm. And most of them have come in the last two or three weekends uh in conference play but again if you're like say ask missouri missouri will probably vote for larissa larissa pruitt because she hit a grand slam against them you know so hopefully it'll come yeah. down to those yeah. type of things last year same scenario with freshman of the year brie ellis won hitting under 300 in conference play yeah that's that that should never happen yeah. in the I, SEC. I think once once we get past the point where these the covid players have an extra year yeah. it might even out a little bit more and we'll see some more of these true freshmen even with the transfer portal I think we'll see some more of these true franchises having bigger impacts. Uh, but I, I, I agree with what you said, bro. I think it's just so hard for a lot of these freshmen to even crack the lineup with, between the transfer portal and the fifth-year seniors. Yeah, I, I don't even – I think across the country you're seeing that's more difficult and um, what honestly makes what Kay, Kenley Cahalan doing that much more impressive is that she shouldn't even be here. Um, right. I thought yeah. she would be up for it earlier in the year, but she's had, had her conference struggles, but uh, yeah, I, I think it's going to be an interesting couple of years with the freshman of the year. And I think it'll kind of get back to normal once recruiting and transfer portal kind of settle in a little bit. Okay. Before we look at the sec tournament, we're advancing to first with Caleb Rowe. did that many times in her mm, Alabama career. Yes. Yeah, you know, just one of the best hitters in school history. She's on the wall. Yes. The, those freshmen of the year are like, I don't even know if that's an award we're giving them. Just called the Caleb Rowe Freshman of the Year Award. Right. Yes, indeed. Uh, <laughs> is there anything from last weekend that you specifically want to touch on before we look at the tournament? Because I personally feel like Saturday was the most dramatic overall day in SEC softball in a very long time. And this weekend was, there were some shockers. There were some really big shockers, even like you think about Missouri winning the series against Arkansas, uh, the Jenna Johnson home run in the seventh inning. There was like a lot of fireworks. LSU didn't play Saturday, but they beat Georgia on Sunday twice in the doubleheader to win that series. There were some big upsets. It kind of, I feel like, encapsulated just the entire craziness of the SEC and I mean, South Carolina beat Tennessee on Sunday, like no game is easy in this league. And I think that's what's going to make the tournament so exciting. And this weekend was proof of that. If like you don't come ready to play, if your matchup doesn't look right, you're going to get beat. And we saw that and nobody folds anymore. It's like too hard of a grind. Nobody's just going to roll over and give you a W. Um, Kentucky, the game against Florida was also fantastic. Like Nobody's just going to let it hand you a win anymore, which I think is going to make uh, the SEC tournament really interesting. That's what I'm saying. Because of the way that this season has gone, we've seen all how these matchups have gone. Does this make this maybe the most wide open SEC tournament we've had in a long time? I think in a lot of ways it does. I was looking up the matchups like last night on on Rally Cap. We did a segment. You know, we're standing up the 
big boards, got the bracket on it and I'm looking at it and they're like, what matchup stands out to you? And it's like, well, kind of all of them do, because I feel like legitimately I look at the board and I think, oh, Mississippi State could beat Missouri. Well, Missouri could also beat Mississippi State. There's like, oh, Kentucky versus Florida back again. LSU, Ole Miss. Oh, Ole Miss just beat Alabama. Like there's so many games where I'm like, I I couldn't tell you who's going to win the ball game. And I think that's to your point, uh, Tom, that anybody could win and that's why the teams that get that day off it's really valuable because the first round they can kind of beat each other up a little bit uh, the other way to think about that is you can kind of get some momentum going we've seen some teams in the last few years kind of come out of that Missouri last year I think they were in that five and below seated and they went on to the championship you can get on a roll and good things can happen so yeah I do think this tournament has a lot of opportunities that's you know that's what made Sunday so frustrating for Alabama that they got the loss from Arkansas they needed had they been able to finish off that that win against Ole Miss they would have been the four seed. But uh, that being said, what uh, what kind of is your your thoughts and vibe for Alabama heading into the SEC tournament? I think Alabama has to be really careful, and the reason I say that is we all know that it's Montana Fouts and she's going to carry us if we are able to move on. She's going to have to pull the weight. So I think it's going to be really strategic on what they decide to do, what Coach Murphy decides to do with her. She's going to want to throw. I know that. I know the kid. She is going to want to be in the circle every single game. I think we need to have a good reality check and figure out what's worth it. She's a kid that likes to throw a lot. I know that. She needs to keep her body moving. She likes to do bullpens and stuff like that. So finding a happy balance for Alabama of throwing Montana Fouts versus not throwing Montana Fouts. And I know we all want to win championships. We all want to be SEC tournament champions, but we also have to think about going to super regionals in the women's college world series. So it'll be interesting. What I want to see with Alabama, um, I think they're onto something. I think there's a little bit more belief. I think that Jenna Johnson home run really flipped a switch in the offense and said, Hey, we could do this and we can get this done. And we need a few key hits here and there. And I, like, I remember Jenna's interview after the game, I think she was talking to Tara, I think at D one softball. And she's like, I failed at LSU. I failed at, at South Carolina. I don't remember the games, but she's, she, specifically stated the games that she didn't come through. She remembered them. And then she said, but I came through today. And I think that's going to be really reflective in the, the, what this Alabama offense needs to keep in mind. Just because I didn't do it in the past doesn't mean I can't do it right now. And um, Jenna Johnson, just, I, I loved the response and it, I feel like I was like, if you could bottle that up and let everybody on the team drink that same mentality that I got to, use the past as a motivator and as not necessarily truth, which is very different. Uh, just because I didn't do it before doesn't mean I can't do it today and the belief in your team. And the SEC tournament is the big opportunity to do that because you're going to face some really good pitchers in this league, in this conference this week. And if you can get that key hitch hit, excuse me, that key hit now, you're going to be able to do it in regionals and super regionals. And I think, and I said this earlier on the show, I, I think that was my biggest fear on Sunday, losing that game in a game where your offense got 10 hits and did so many things right. Uh, I'm sure, you know, as an analyst, as a former player, you can attest to this. Um, it's it's so important to remember the good while also learning from the bad. And there was so much good in that Sunday game. And I, I certainly hope that that this team remembers that, but they're also very young. So it, it's going to be an interesting little balancing act. Yeah, the other thing I think about in that Sunday game, and this kind of uh, maybe isn't 
you guys might've talked about it a little bit more, but you don't have Shipman and Shipman is the senior leader, a big piece of your offense. She gets a couple more hits. You guys win that. I mean, Bama wins that game. Like that's how important you saw how Taylor Pleasance impacts LSU. Allie Shipman has that same kind of defensive and offensive impact on this Alabama squad. So you get her back, you get her healthy. I think it could have been a different game on Sunday. Um, and for that reason, and Beth Tarina kind of had the same mentality with, Taylor Pleasance is all of the losses when you're we don't have some of your star players like when you didn't have Ashley Pringy for a game whatever it was um you kind of have to put it in perspective that your team is not complete at that time and not make it a wash but you can say okay look this this loss wasn't as bad as we all think it is and I think that's something to remember about that Ole Miss game that's a good point. Caleb Pro advancing to first with us and perspective uh, crazy. Not no like oh man. Just <laughs> hey, no pitchforks. I will forks, say this too nothing. and I thought about this. I, I thought about this too. The year we won the national championship, I was telling this story to somebody the other day. We went to Fordham for Cassie Riley Bosch's home trip. Like two weeks before we went on the run to win the national championship. Right after we won the SEC tournament, we got on a plane, we went to New York and we lost to Fordham. And Again, that's a loss that could have been really debilitating. It could have been like what we on the road to a team that had no business beating us. But you kind of take those games and you can realize, okay, well, Jackie Trainer wasn't throwing. Uh, it was raining. It was pouring. We were all exhausted because we just played three games in a row in the SEC tournament on a huge stage. We got on a plane. We're lethargic. You're like, you know, we're changing time zones. And again, those are all excuses. But at the same time, if those like those losses weigh you down, you have to kind of bring reality back into the forefront and say, hey, it actually wasn't as bad as I think it was. And I think that's what this Alabama softball team can look back and reflect on with this Ole Miss team. Because guess what? Ole Miss beat plenty of teams this year. <laughs> plenty of really good teams this year in the conference. Right. Yeah. I mean, they're only a couple games over 500 and they're going to make the tournament like easily. Quite easily. Easy. Yeah. So, yeah. Easy. Yeah. So. All right. So as we look Elsewhere in the tournament, we were talking about using Montana Fouts. I think the next big question in the SEC is with Tennessee and the usage of Ashley Rogers. They've got an interesting little scenario, and it particularly depends on what happens in the Florida-Kentucky game. But if Florida beats Kentucky, then you've got the scenario where, okay, you're playing a Florida team that you swept, but Florida hit the other pitchers really well. However, we've seen in years past where Tennessee goes with Rodgers immediately and she gets burned out by the end of the SEC tournament and can't go on. How do you handle this if you're Karen Weekly? Do you throw Ashley Rodgers against Florida or do you shuffle Pickens out there? That's a great question. I would go Rodgers. And the reason I would go Rodgers is I would prioritize winning game one. And when I think about the day today and the rest, so – I don't believe Rogers threw on Sunday versus South Carolina. Mm -mm. So she hadn't thrown since Friday night. You throw her on a Wednesday or right. Thursday, excuse me. Thursday. You throw on her Thursday. Then I would not throw her Friday and I would double up Pickens got shawl. And then I would try and throw her Saturday if she wanted the ball, which Ashley Rogers is going to want the ball. So then I feel like you're giving adequate rest um, in between the games. And I think that would do it. And she isn't, tax from earlier in the season because she had help so she usually in her previous seasons uh in the circle would throw like as many innings as montana fouts at this point but she's not throwing she's about at 100 oh, she's around 100 innings i believe a little yeah. over yeah okay. and of course yeah. you know i asked that question 
picking Florida to beat Kentucky, uh, which, spoiler alert, I'm picking Florida to beat Kentucky <laughs> later on. Right. Uh, but that also might not happen. Uh, I don't know. If I, Kentucky beats Florida, it's it's no question you throw Rodgers. Yeah. There's not even, a, like, a seed of doubt. Yeah. And, and, and a lot of these pitching decisions could get affected if there's weather and, and things get moved around and doubleheaders happen and things like that, too. So that, that could throw a whole other wrench into everything. Yeah, bro, what do we know about what the tournament could look like? I mean, obviously, we're still a couple days out from the meat of the event starting, but the forecast looks dicey. Yeah, a lot of thunderstorms in the forecast, which is um, going to be challenging because as soon as there's lightning, whether or not there's rain, you have to have within, if it's within eight miles, we got to stop for 30 minutes. So it could be um, a lot of stop and go. I know there are rules and I don't know them off the top of my head, but we're going to value the student athlete first and foremost. So I know that there's going to be limitations. You're only going to be able to play two games a day. You're not going to be able to uh, extend past a certain hour. So once it hits, I... It used to be 11 o'clock, but I think that there's some changes um, if both of coaches agree or teams agree. I don't know. There's some some caveat. You can't start games after a certain time. So I think um, they have put in play. I've noticed it this year. There's a longer break between games. And I think that's so if there is a backup, there's a greater chance that we'll play the later games on time. So they're not as backed up quite as short between games. So I think there's space. So if we do get a, a delay, they can kind of recover the timing later on. Yeah. Well, I mean, you can only do so much. Hopefully, hopefully it works out to where build a dome, Courtney Dyfel. <laughs> Who's your dark horse in this event? As we, as we look at the bracket, one team that pops to me is South Carolina. If they get past Texas A&M, it's very hard to beat a team four times. And Georgia's already swept the Gamecocks this year. Could South Carolina be a dark horse? I don't know. What do you say, bro? Absolutely. And the reason they can be a dark horse is they have a ridiculous amount of pitchers. So I think when you're talking <laughs> about one game and trying to go against the opponent, if you can get through the lineup one time and then you can flip somebody out and know that you got somebody that looks extremely different in the in the bullpen, I think that really could go in the direction of South Carolina. They're a team that's getting more confident. They're getting better. They just beat Tennessee on Sunday. So they're ending their season on like a really, really high note on the road. Um, so I absolutely think, uh, South Carolina is a dark horse. I don't know if this is a dark horse cause they're a top four team, but I think about Auburn too. Cause I think Penta can be anybody on any given day. Um, Shelby Lowe's not bad, but, uh, offers a different look from the left-handed side, excuse me, from the, the left arm, um, lefty pitcher, but Auburn and Maddie Penta, they could, they could get hot and beat somebody too. I, I think those are my two probably lead dark horses, South Carolina, uh, Kentucky could get hot if Schoonover looks better. Um, I, I think Texas A&M has a chance if they beat South Carolina in that first yeah. game. You know, A&M might have a little bit of a path as well because they have a lot of pitchers that, that too uh, if one of them gets hot. and But that being said, if South Carolina, I'm with you on that. Uh, Bev, just don't take out the hot pitcher when she's dominating. If Donnie Goborn's got a no-hitter through six, don't pull her in the no, seven. just don't do yeah, it. Yeah, keep her in. <laughs> uh, do you have a champion? Uh, you make know, a champion pick as as a desk person. You're I, allowed oh, to, Oh, right? they'll ask me on the desk. They, can I tell you guys a funny story last year about being on the desk? So we, on the desk, we can do whatever we want. We can ask questions because we're not calling the game. We're just, right. we're uh, doing studio work. So last year we were... Um, each giving our hot takes for the tournament. And you could have like a couple hot takes. And we were going through and Maddie gave her hot take. Tori gave her talk hot take and it's my turn. And I swear 
my brain just went black and I was like, what was my hot take? I don't, well, I don't remember. Like I was so, it was like the last thing of the show we had been ripping through. I'm like, I don't remember my hot take. And I said, Arkansas is going to go to the championship game. They were the number one seat. That's not a hot take. (laughs) So I got ripped apart. Like my producer was in my ear. Everybody was giving me a ton of crap for it. Um, So I laugh because like when you talk about picking the team, like I I can't help but say Tennessee. And it's because they have Mm. three aces. It's not that they can't be beat. It's that they can go to the bullpen and you're going to have somebody that's going to step in and be just as good as the picture that you just saw that looks completely different um so my thoughts are tennessee um what's your hot take my hot take this yeah. year yeah this I year i haven't i haven't talked about we haven't even talked about it. we we have our first production meeting tomorrow so i haven't had an opportunity to, to think about my hot take yet but it's coming okay all right. Stay the, tuned. The don't put me on the in. don't put me on the spot. My hot take: Tennessee is gonna go. <laughs> right. That good. Thanks. <laughs> For the second year in a row, the top seed. <laughs> oh man, Caleb Bro joining us as we advance the first. All right, bro. Uh, when we advance the first on the show, we always do FGCL Player of the Week, and typically mm-hmm. I read the stats, and Tom picks the two finalists. But now seems like a great time to have a little guest celebrity finalist picker. Yep. Alrighty, so I'm going to read the seven nominees. You will pick a finalist, and Tom will pick the finalist. Okay, so I just have yeah. to pick one finalist. One finalist. Okay. And you'll get first pick, so Tom, okay. be Great. thinking. Good. Okay. Sarah Willis, UCF. Ten innings pitched, seven hits, two runs, both earned, two walks and seven Ks at the plate, two for three with two RBIs, a homer, a walk, and two runs scored as UCF swept Memphis. Sorry, Steph but good win for yeah. Sarah Willis. Jordan Johnson at Central Arkansas, 10 innings pitched, eight hits, one run. It was unearned, two walks and 12 Ks. Alex Taraco, Oklahoma, nine innings pitched, nine hits, one run it was earned, two walks and eight Ks and reached the 1,000 career strikeout club. Tiffany Dominique, USC Upstate, four for 10 with an RBI, a homer, a triple, a double, a walk, a K and two runs scored. In game three against Presbyterian, was three for four with an RBI, a home run, a triple, and a double. So was only missing a single to hit for the cycle, which is the easy one, I've been told. Jaden Jessman from Green Bay, six for nine, three RBIs, two doubles, two walks, three runs scored. Grace Lorsung, Kentucky, three for eight, RBI, home run, walk, two runs scored, had the solo home run in the sixth in game three against Florida in the one nothing win to get the Wildcats that series. And finally, Victoria Ortiz, South Alabama, three for seven, two RBIs, two home runs. They both came in game two of their series this weekend, three walks, a K, and three runs scored. All right, Caleb, bro. You know, there's some people that have better stats, but the impact of Grace Lorsung's home run is going to give her the my vote because they were just – Kentucky was on a really, really downward decline in the last few weeks and getting that huge series win over Florida at home on senior weekend and Grace Lorison hits the home run to win it. I, I got to give that to her. That was awesome. I love it. Grace Lorison, a finalist. Tom, who's the other one? I think I'm going to go into the pitching circle and go with someone who pitched 10 innings and did not allow an earned run. So we'll go Jordan Johnson from Central Arkansas. I, that was my runner-up. That was that was there the other go. one I was going to vote for. Yeah. I heard Grace Lorson. On, on, the, on the same page. There we go. 
Tom Alabama Caleb, always, yes, yes. I, the similarities <laughs> abound. Okay, so Jordan Johnson versus Grace Lorsung, and now I pick the winner. Pressure, pressure, pressure. Mm. I'm going to go with spot. Grace What's Lor- your hot take? <laughs> I'm, going, <laughs> I'm going with Grace Lorsung from Kentucky. Nice. Uh, nice. I think you're exactly right. And, and maybe we can touch on Kentucky for a minute before we let you go. Really baffling how the season has gone. I mean, with Schoonover out, the fact that the other pitchers were so ineffective and in games where they were, the offense did nothing. It, it was it was confusing to watch Kentucky play softball. And then somehow they, they put it together against Florida at least well enough to win a series. Unfortunately for Kentucky, that Stephanie Schoonover injury set them back a really far away. And then ever since she's gone back, she hasn't looked as sharp. She's got a forearm injury. And I think about how much you have to snap off use of the forearm, especially with that rise ball. And that was her pitch. I know her velocity's down. She hasn't really gotten to full strength yet. So um, if they can get her back to full strength, I think they are a team that could be really successful in the regional round. I don't know if they could have enough depth to come out of a regional, but I think they could really challenge somebody depending on where they get sent. Um, And it's a shame too, because like, at the beginning of the year, I called their Missouri series and they swept Missouri in serious fashion where I, Missouri didn't score a run all weekend and their offense looked dynamic. They have some speed threats plus Aaron Koffel, who at the time was like front runner for SEC player of the year. And it just took a really weird turn. So I'm hoping uh, as a, as a softball fan that Kentucky gets back to where they were. Cause they were a fun team to watch really dynamic. Again, a lot of speed, a lot of power in the middle and then some really good pitching in the circle. So if they could get that cleaned up, I, I, I think they're a fun team to watch. Um, unfortunately their pitching just is rough right now. Yeah. <laughs> Who, who's who's pitching? pitching? Probably everyone. <laughs> Caleb bro. Thank you so much for joining us. Okay. So give everybody the rundown. What, what's the desk sitch at the sec tournament this year? Desk sitch, uh, Dari Noka in the mornings, Alyssa Lang at night are the hosts. So first two games will be Dari. Second two games will be Alyssa. Tori Vidalis and I will be on set all day long. We're there from early in the morning. I think we get there at eight o'clock for makeup. And then we leave when the last game's done, which will be late into the night. Um, We get to do the in-between little fill shows in between the games. And they're really awesome. Like you got to keep just roll. You got to have it on your TV all day because we're going to be doing highlights. We'll be doing interesting stories. And my favorite, favorite thing is that we get to have the winning players or coaches or sometimes both on set with us. And we get to ask them really great questions. And there's something about being on set at the SEC tournament. We get to see their personalities. And I think that's so cool because a lot of these kids are incredible players on the field, but they're even better people off the field. So it's fun getting to know them and getting to show who they are and what their value is to their team. So that's really fun. And the big question is, is the stage set up to where it can be hit by a home run this year? I'm pretty sure it's dead center, but I don't quote me on that. Cause I don't think, I think they're building it right now. So gotcha. I'm pretty sure it's because we, we had it's a, definitely in the outfield. I'm pretty sure yeah. it can be a home run. It's home run. We, we had a good, we had a good streak there for a few years of that happening. We did. So. Yeah, we did. And then last year, Florida was in foul ball territory, which wasn't as fun because you're like, you know, the home runs are better. Much scarier (laughs) as well. (laughs) We get hit by a foul ball, not quite as dramatic. Tori Tori brought her glove. Tori did bring her glove. I saw it on her backpack today. We flew in at the same time. She had it clipped in her backpack. It's like next level. I love that. You don't need a glove though, Caleb, bro. You got, you can barehand it. It's fine. (laughs) If I have a broken, swollen hand, I'm blaming you. (laughs) Uh, Caleb, bro, always wonderful. We will see you very soon in Fayetteville. And 
I don't. I was gonna say let's get breakfast, but maybe not. If you're getting there for makeup at eight a.m. You guys, hey, Alabama's got to stick around to Friday, and then we got some time on Friday. So Friday Damn. breakfast if Bama wins, let's, let's do, it. do it. Absolutely, Bam. Thanks for having right. us, bro. Hey, safe travels, you guys. So while bro gets ready to continue her prep for the SEC tournament, we will get ready to steal second time, just like Kayla Bro did so many times in her career. It's just it comes full circle. Circle. What? Wow. Look at us. Buttress, it's time for the In the Circle crossover event. I'm nervous I did. Eric Lopez, Victor Anderson, Gray and Tom, we're all on a Zoom. We'll be stealing second together when we come back here on the Out of Box Podcast. It's only a kick. A jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Out of the box podcast. The regular season is over. Mayhem is upon us. Gray Robertson and Tom Canterbury. And speaking of mayhem, it's time to steal second with our friends from the In the Circle podcast. Yes, the crossover has returned for the fourth time, I believe, since we you know didn't really do anything in 2020. Victor Anderson and Eric Lopez are back on the show. Victor, hello, how are you? Well, better late than never, gentlemen. But uh, best time to have us on for our our home and home uh, obligations, if you will, gentlemen. Since Gray, you were the you were the initial one to come to us this year, so nice to repay the favor in kind. Yeah, and Eric, no, no, you know, home and home discussions like Florida and UCF had a couple years ago. We just we just do it. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm just happy to see Tom again. I was worried because he didn't join you the lat when we had you on our podcast, and I was worried he was still devastated. From me beating him in the big trivia championship as I'm okay, the undisputed look, 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 champion I'm of the trivia. I'm going to say my thoughts on that trivia for later on in this segment, gentlemen. Uh, I, I, will, I will just say none of us were real, real, real glowing <laughs> and shiny out of that trivia championship. <laughs> no, uh, Gray was the big winner on that because he stumped yeah. us a ton. Mm. Which is great radio, great podcast. Yes, people really <laughs> loved it. Yes. <laughs> Oh, man. As always, when we all gather together, uh, this is not your normal stealing second portion where we do all the interviews and Tom and I lay back. Nope. This is a full on roundtable where we discuss, we debate, we decide if we agree with each other on some of the answers. And it's always a fun time. And so we're going to start it off, gentlemen, with something just super broad. I, I, I have three words here and then a dot, dot, dot. Victor, we'll go with you. The SEC is fluid. <laughs> That's the easiest way I can say it. Because you look at the conference this year, every team has shown that they can be elite for a weekend, but they've also shown that if they don't play their caliber of softball, that they can be beaten by anybody. Look at the perfect example, Kentucky. They beat Florida two out of three on their senior weekend, but then just two weeks ago, they get swept by Mississippi State and give up 10 home runs in the process. That this shows you, number one, 
the depth of the SEC, which I'm pretty sure Eric and you will agree that they're likely going to get all 13 in again, bearing some circumstances in the SEC tournament starting um, in the Fayetteville soon. But also, you have to be on your A game. Now in the postseason, that margin for air gets even smaller. And if you have one bad weekend, your season could be over just like that. Eric, you're up. The SEC is kind of bizarre this year because it's strong, but yet there's a lot of unusual storylines. Like Florida, barring winning the SEC tournament, is not going to host a regional for the first time since 2004. It's very strange to see Florida struggle like they have with their pitching. You've got the SEC regular season champion in Tennessee that might need to have a good run in the SEC tournament to lock up a top eight seed. That's bizarre. Uh, it's just a lot of strange results. You got Missouri, a team that was a dead last, beats Arkansas two out of three. Mississippi State couldn't win a game for three weeks, then sweeps Kentucky. Uh, it's just a bizarre all over the place that it's unique. Even Alabama, it looked like Alabama. You guys just saw in Oxford. You, you're on the verge of sweeping them, and then Ole Miss comes out of nowhere and steals that game in the bottom of the seventh. Just bizarre. Uh, SCC is the only way I could put it. I, you guys have covered the league much closer than I am, but I, every weekend there's always that one result or two. They're like, eh, that's kind of confusing. Maybe unpredictable might be the best word. It's been, it's tough to predict from weekend to week out as, as evidenced by our, our pick segments and the results <laughs> that we've been getting on those. But uh, I mean, just teams that you think, okay, well this, you, instead of kind of going, okay, are they going to sweep? Or are they going to go two one? the other team can end up sweeping. Right. Uh, and that's, it's, it's been so difficult to get a true grasp. Of. We've watched every pitch that Alabama has thrown this year. And I, I have as many questions today as I had opening weekend uh, about the Crimson Tide. So it's, it's, it's kind of, that's kind of a microcosm of everything that's going on in this conference. We have, like you mentioned, Eric, you have Florida who has probably the player of the year in the conference and Skylar Wallace and are going to and have their first losing season in the conference since Tim Walton has been in Gainesville. Yeah. It's just it, it is it has been very hard to uh, describe and predict what's going on in this conference. Which is why my word is dangerous. Mm. I think the SEC is dangerous once we get to the NCAA tournament because I know Eric, you're in the same boat as me. Not nearly as many SEC top eight seeds as we've had in many years. There are going to be a lot of SEC regional hosts. That are having to travel you've got a lot of sec teams who won't get to the regional bubble and we might talk about that a little bit later so no spoilers mm -hmm. but i think that that means we could see a bunch of upper tier top 16 and top eight seeds challenged by sec team sec teams by maybe a kentucky who's starting to figure things out by a florida who you know if they have to get into a shootout they can do it i mean we've yeah. seen that they can put up a lot of runs so I would say right now the SEC is dangerous. I'm not going to be one of those people that says the SEC is weak this year because I don't believe that, but I think that they're very dangerous as we sit on May 8th. All right. Our, our second topic, uh, the team with the best chance to beat Oklahoma twice is? I feel like the easy answer is going to be UCLA, so I'm going to go in a different direction. I'm going to go Florida State because they've played Oklahoma to a one-run game Lonnie Alameda knows how to work a staff with Catherine Sandercock, the freshman, Reed. They're not going to be intimidated by Oklahoma. They have an offense balance, and they don't have a psychological burden. Like, I think with UCLA, they certainly – I picked UCLA actually win the national title before the year. 
I just wonder if UCLA psychologically can beat Oklahoma, considering they got smoked by them earlier this year at Mary Nutter. Oklahoma eliminated them the last couple of years in the World Series. I wonder if there's a psychological thing that Oklahoma has, quite frankly, in a lot of teams. Whereas Florida State, I feel like with the arms, she could play matchups with that Sooner offense. And with their pitching, they could shut down Oklahoma. I think Florida State is a team that could certainly uh, compete with them. I'll give you a team from the SEC. And they might get paired up, depending on how this plays out in the first matchup in the World Series. That's Tennessee. If Ashley Rogers is healthy with the arms they have and the Tennessee offense, I think they could push Oklahoma as well. Those are the two teams that jumps out to me. But, again, I'm not going to pick against Oklahoma. Watch out. They'll come after you. Yeah, make, make yeah. <laughs> Just what, what mentioning the right. thought. The, the, the very chance possibility that they might not win and you'll, the pitchforks will be out for you. Victor, what do you think? Well, Eric and I are singing the same song and singing from the same song sheet, if you will, because I agree with Florida State. I saw them recently a couple weeks ago when they played at Stetson. The biggest key, Eric alluded to this, the multiple arms Coach Alameda can throw. You have Sander Cock, McKenna Reed, Ali Dubois, Allison Royalty. They have different arms they can utilize, and Coach Alameda knows they're not afraid against Oklahoma. They beat, took game one for the championship series on the Sooners a couple of years ago, but for Oklahoma had to win the la- game two and three in the champ series to take home that first of back-to-back national titles. And their offense is finding their rhythm at the right time. McKenna Eddingfield's getting her groove. Josie Muffley starting to hit well, along with the, the standards at the Florida State lineup, including your, your BFF, Gray, uh, Devin Flaherty, who has been tearing it up in terms of getting on base for the Knowles this year. So I agree with Eric in terms of Florida State, in terms of the national landscape. I think UCLA, they had that mental block. That demolishing they took that Sunday at Mary Nutter, that still lingers with them. And, of course, the way Oklahoma eliminated them in the World Series last year, that's also going to be something to look at. I'm still pondering. I think buttress. But I am buttressing quite hard, Tom. Uh, I would say uh, two weeks ago my answer would have been Tennessee. But the, I don't want to even call it a fall because she still might win SEC freshman of the year, but the ineffectiveness of Carlin Pickens has kind of made me more wary of that possibility. I think the correct answer is Florida State because of all the reasons that we've discussed, an offense that has experienced a lot of arms. But that's been said multiple times. So I'm going to shout out LSU. I think that we've already seen Oklahoma at LSU. Oklahoma won 3 nothing on three unearned runs. LSU was able to fairly well execute a pitching plan against the Sooners and offensively for the Tigers. That was one of the Taylor Pleasance's only slapping and bunting game. She was not fully healthy. She is fully healthy right now. I think a fully healthy LSU team could, Mm. could. Again, we're not predicting it to happen. Could. I can already see my mentions. Could (laughs) beat Oklahoma twice, but maybe. Uh, Well, Okay, well, I'll be the guy that says UCLA then. Uh, <gasps> the be- second best team in the country. Right, yes. I'll go out on that limb to say that they'll be able to hang with them because, uh, yes, there, there was that demolition in Mary Nutter, uh, but obviously both these teams are different than they were back in February. UCLA ha- is playing a whole lot better. Oklahoma has a really, really good offense, but they don't have the the Jocelyn Ello-led offense that they had last year. So I think, you know, if Framo is on her game, if, you know, if that entire pitching staff is able to hold Oklahoma down, and most importantly, 
don't commit errors because that's something we've talked about so much. When you give Oklahoma something, you give them an extra out, you give them some freebies. They are the best team that I may have ever seen yeah. at taking advantage of those. So you have to play a very clean game. UCLA, they want the they they've all been in that spot before, so the 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 moment won't be too big. And then I think Tennessee still. I, I would say because they have an offense that can, I think, can score with Oklahoma. And then, you know, if Carlin Pickens, I think she's even a bigger point for this than even Ashley Rogers. Ashley Rogers, she's she's got to be healthy, obviously. But if Pickens can kind of find a little bit of what she had maybe a month ago and, and bottle that in there to give them that rotation, uh, I, I think Tennessee would still have a chance. Uh, all right, this question and this statement kind of goes to the bracketologist in the room, but we'll also uh, we'll open it up for everyone. Uh, the team that feels most primed to host Supers but not make it to OKC is Ray Robertson. Oh, how dare you return the favor. <laughs> <laughs> the easy answer is Oklahoma State. That's not my answer. I think my answer is Stanford. Uh, I have seen enough holes of late to feel concerned and we have growing evidence about Stanford's offense struggling about their inability to beat the upper tier PAC 12 teams, whether it be home or away of the pitching staff starting to get got a bit. We've seen Vauder hit a little bit more Washington hit Kennedy for the first time that anyone has extensively hit her all year. The evidence is growing that Stanford is going to be gettable in supers. And because of all the metrics, Eric, I, I know you're in the same boat. We've had Stanford as a supers lock probably for a month. And there's nothing at this point that will knock them out of that. But they seem like one of those fives hosting a tough SEC 12 or something like that, that could go down. Wonder who that might possibly be. I don't know. There are a lot of SEC possible 12s. <laughs> that is very true. Arkansas, Alabama, Georgia. Who do we want to look at? All right. Oh, my cheap plug. I actually have Stanford, Alabama paired up together. Mm. Oh, oh, how about that? Hey. Great. Great. That, was, check it out. That, that worked great. Last, last they who all over again. <laughs> um, Stanford's a good case. I mean, I picked Stanford before the year. I am nervous about their offense. Do they have enough offense? Arms, Palo Alto, tough place. Uh, I don't know if it's, it's the most difficult place to win a Super Regional. Oregon State did that last year. But since you brought up Stanford already, I'm not going to use that answer. I don't know if this qualifies, but they could host – uh, be a top 18 that's duke i think duke's a team that definitely I, I don't know why but the metrics love duke uh you guys saw duke in clearwater like i did i didn't think they were a top 18 don't get me wrong they've had a great year but i think that's a team especially they're going to get paired up with an sec team like an lsu could be an alabama could be an arkansas could be a texas i don't know if i would pick them to get to the world series and if they're a top eight seed that's a team that I think could get bounced. Oklahoma State obviously has some things they got to sort out. They got to get Kelly Maxwell back on track. This, it's funny, we could be headed for a similar year to last year where a lot, we see a lot of carnage, to your point, Gray, what you made up earlier, where we see some, quote, top eight seeds. A lot of them get knocked out early because either they've got tough matchups against SEC teams that maybe are seated a little higher than normal, et cetera, et cetera. But I think Duke, Stanford, there are a couple of examples of that uh, that jumps out to me as far as top eight. It's difficult because, again, you can make the case for all three teams that we mentioned. I will say Tennessee only because of the recent history that we've seen with the Lady Vols. Mm -hmm. Go back to 2019, host the regionals, 
got bounced out on Saturday by Liberty, and James Madison wins that regional with Odyssey Alexander. We all saw the magical run they had to Oklahoma City. And then last year, they lose twice to Oregon State and regionals. So if anything, if you're Tennessee, you're thinking, we got this great team with Kiki Malloy, Ashley Rogers, Pickens, a freshman phenom, and then we get paired up with a two-seed who a lot of people are saying, oh, wow. It wouldn't be out of the realm of possibilities if Tennessee gets Central Arkansas in their draw with Kayla Beaver and Jada Johnson, one of the best one-two combinations softball fans may not have heard of. If they get them in Knoxville, that is not going to be an easy out for Tennessee. So based on that recent track record, I think Tennessee might be the most vulnerable. I'm going to go with Northwestern. They're another team that I think a little bit, you know, the metrics love them. I'm not 100% sure how good they are. I think they're really good. They've obviously done really well in a much deeper Big Ten than we thought they was going to be before the season started. Yep. I don't know if they are elite level good that you're going to need to be to get to OKC. Maybe they are, but I think that in addition to completely separate from what I said about UCLA, they haven't been there before. Northwestern hasn't been in that situation a whole lot. Um, and it may be, you know, you if they get paired, if they're like the number eight and the nine seed ends up being, you know, LSU or Texas or somebody like that who has, uh, I'm going to say Northwestern, I think, is the most vulnerable not to make it to OKC. Right, yeah. I, I would even, you know, that, that super last year with Arizona State in Tempe, that got weird. And sure. you could make the argument Arizona State probably should have won that super and, and gone to Oklahoma City. I, I think that's fair. A- and we are less than a week away from finding out where everybody is going to be. And I'm sure we'll all be ranting and raving at some point somewhere. I'll be doing some D1 live reaction hits and then we'll record on Monday and y'all will do your YouTube during the show as well. So let's fast forward to eh, nine o'clock central time that night. The bracket is out. What's the biggest story on Selection Sunday once we have that sheet in our hands? Victor Anderson. Who will Clemson be hosting? And if not, which SEC team will be going to see the Tigers? Because Clemson has always been it's been the team that they struggled the last few weeks of the season. Get swept by Florida State. Lost the game to NC State. You lost the series to Virginia Tech. And you were this close from being walked off again, swept there as well. This is an important weekend for the Tigers. They got... The four, they got the first round matchup in the ACC tournament, and then you got a chance to beat Duke in the semifinal. If Clemson doesn't make a deep run in the ACC tournament, and Eric, you can confirm this, Clemson's going to be a two seed. And if you're an SEC team or if you're any team, you do not want to see Millie Thompson, Valerie Cagle, and John and uh, John Ripman coming to your city. You don't. You realize you're, I mean, you're, you're talking to Tom and Gray who might see Clemson if they don't host. I, There's a very I, good chance look, that they're not going to see As somebody who is a impartial unpar- uh, and has no loyalty to any school, I have to give the facts as they are being presented and possible and giving them all possibilities. Uh, see, Eric, I thought you were going to say something about John Rittman being the answer to a trivia question that Tom missed. Tom, who's the head coach of Clemson? <laughs> That's right. Yeah. John Rittman. John yes. Rittman. Okay. <laughs> It's like very good it, flashback trivia right. question. It's like it's like the Columbia River, River, the uh, Daily Double that I missed on Jeopardy. I'll never forget it. Now. Yeah, I missed. That. I remember. I was yelling. I was yelling too. I was Columbia holding my. Columbia Columbia. Oh my goodness! I think the big story is 
what are we looking at? What matters more, the metrics, the computers, or your eyes? Because we're we're in a collision course here. You got a Louisiana team as we do this recording Monday night. They're nine in the RPI. Nine. Why? No, I don't know. Inexplicable. Their top five schedule strength. He's, Jerry Glasgow's non-conference top five, uh, but they only have two top 25 wins. Their marquee wins are LSU on the, uh, and Florida. They have 14 top 50 wins, but all the metrics suggest they are a top 16 host. No team that's been in the top 11 RPI has ever not hosted. So that could come at the expense of a Baylor who has seven top 25 wins, including a sweep of Texas, two wins over Tennessee, and a win over Oklahoma. Or and at the beat Louisiana and head to head and beat the KO by the way head to head happened yeah. on the field. What do you know? And then or could be at the expense of a Clemson team that nobody wants to see. Everybody acknowledges has been a top sixteen team. Beat Georgia this year uh, is a team that went to the Supers last year, but yet their metrics are not so great because they had a t- didn't strong non conference schedule and they played a soft ACC schedule as a result of that. So what are we going with here? Are we going with just numbers? Because nobody really believes in Louisiana being a top 16 team. And I think we're somebody's going to get upset on Sunday night. This is going to be a referendum on the on the system of the RPI. It's going to be a referendum on the Sun Belt. Is the Sun Belt really the sixth best conference in college softball? Or is a is this a, a computer tricker, as they like to say, a team that knows has tricked the system of the RPI? I don't know what the committee's going to do. I'm fascinated by it. But either way, we're going to have one side – upset because you're either going to have more than likely Clemson or Baylor or Louisiana is not going to host and whoever's not hosting is going to have, have a big right uh, I've got two I have two as well okay so. well let's let's trade you okay. go first what's your first Alternate. one yes I think the first one is people that are not associated with the SEC are going to be really mad because there are going to be several SEC teams seated much better than what was what they are thinking they're going to be because of those metrics like you're talking about you know a team like Alabama who does have some tough losses on that team sheet has so many good wins in addition to their strength of schedule and they're probably going to be ranked higher and seated higher than people are expecting Arkansas kind of the same way Tennessee those types so I think there's going to be a lot of better seated SEC teams than those outside the SEC will be expecting okay I'm going to take the non-conference strength of schedule portion of it who wears the brunt of the committee's wrath when it comes to non-conference strength of schedule because if Tennessee doesn't win the SEC tournament we know that the regular season championships and standings basically mean nothing then really you know outside of more quality wins where's the difference between Tennessee and Clemson's profiles but if Tennessee doesn't get hammered and Clemson does what kind of message is that sending from the committee I'm I'm curious, or if we see Tennessee get hammered and down at an eight, similar to Alabama in 2019, but Clemson is still a host, that right. won't make any sense. Right. So they're they're going to try and send a message with someone. I'm not sure which team it's going to be. And yeah, if, if you're going to just go with the metrics, why even have a committee? Just do the computer, put the numbers where they are. If you have a committee, it's because they're supposed to use the eye test. And, you know, be able to figure out, okay, this team metrics may be really great, but we watch them play. They're not that good or vice versa. The other thing to kind of bring it back to the discussion that we were having before we hit the record button will be there are going to be some highly seated host schools that are going to have a ridiculously hard two seed coming in 
because of the stupid geography. It's 2023. Everyone can fly. NCAA swimming in money. Seed the tournament correctly. There's no reason, okay, just because this person can bust this way that we have to put them with a two seed that can bust this can bust this far when they deserve to have a different team coming in. Yeah. Uh, and that's going to happen several times, and hopefully it becomes something to the – it needs to reach the critical mass where a change is made. I do think we're going to have – head in that direction, Tom. I spoke to Kelly Gatwood, who's the NCAA chairwoman this year for the committee in softball, and she told me the committee has recommended to the NCAA to go from 16 seeds to 32. So as a result, hmm. you go 32. We saw this with volleyball and women's soccer, Tom. They seeded 32 teams. And what it did, it created more parity, more a little more unpredictable. In other words, hey, this team's not automatically busting to 400 miles. You're just seeding them to go a certain place. So it would create more balance. You would only use then the 400 miles with the three seeds and the four seeds in this scenario. Every, she told me that the positive feedback from volleyball, women's soccer was all up and up. It was very high. So I would not be surprised. And I think that will be a, one of the liners this coming out of this Sunday is I think you're going to hear more outcry for that. I would not be surprised if a year from now we're talking about this new format of 32 seeds where Gray and I now actually have to see 32 teams instead of 16 teams mm. because otherwise we brought it up. If Clemson doesn't host, I feel like there's a 90% chance your Clemson's going to Alabama. Is that really fair? Valerie Cagle and Montana Fouch, one of their careers is going to end in a regional? I don't think that's fair. We talked about Florida. They might be busting to Florida State. You could have a regional with Florida State, Florida – and UCF potentially all in the same regional. And also, Eric, not to interrupt, if FAMU wins the swag, FAMU could be going to Tallahassee as well. So, well, that's, you know, FAMU. Yeah. They'll have to stay champion. Yeah. Well, still. Alabama State's coming here if they win the swag. Right, right. that's the point. Exactly. So, same point. Uh, same yeah. point. Which, which so, I, I think that, I don't think that's, again, that kind of go, if it, they don't need to do one through 32. They need to seed one through 64 because there's no reason why we can't award, say, the SWAC champion with, hey, let's give, send them to Los Angeles. Let them experience right. what it's like at UCLA instead of, oh, we got it. They can, they can always bust to Florida or Florida State where they probably play during the regular season anyway. Let's let these student athletes experience something different as opposed to uh, just, you know, where they can go down the road. Right. Yes. I do want to make sure that I mention my other thing, which is LOL Texas. I think that we're going to talk about Texas again on Selection Sunday because their seating is going to be way lower than I think people think it will be. Uh, there is a lot on their profile that I don't like, and I think I was masked a little bit uh, by the sweep of Oklahoma State, which all the cool kids are doing it nowadays. Right. But don't get swept. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, don't get swept by but now, so, yeah. like, no RPI top 25 wins compared to everybody else, and they're below 500. No top 50 wins compared to everybody else, and they're right at 500. Road record is blah. Non-con SOS and SOS are average. I mean, I, I think Texas is going to be closer to 16 than to 9 uh, that people think they are, and which leads to the last question, and Tom, I'll let you answer it first. Okay. The team that has a best chance to be this year's texas is it's a tough question because there's usually not a texas that what happened last year is a mass anomaly it, it does not happen very often where a team that is unseated not only makes the world series but makes a run in the world series i would say if a team is able to do that i hate to say it maybe auburn 
because Matty Penta is legit. The offense is not real scary top to bottom, but it has some scary parts in it. And if they all are clicking on the cylinders at the same time and give Penta some run support, and if the matchup ends up being good, uh, it could be it could be an Auburn. That being said, don't let the Crimson Tide get hot either, but that wouldn't really count because they're going to be seated. Yeah. So it's just a team that's not seated and not hosting. I mean, obviously Auburn makes sense with Maddie Penta. Look, and I know they, they haven't looked great, but you put the Florida Gators in a region on a postseason deal, they just – something ha- magical happens. I mean, they weren't great last year, and they just blitzed Virginia Tech in the Supers. So I would kind of – I would not – nothing surprises me with Tim Walton, even though, again, nothing um, we've seen to this point would suggest otherwise uh, there. I'll steer away from like the power five. And I mentioned this team before I'm going to go central Arkansas to be my possible James Madison. Here's why Caleb Beaver and Jenna Johnson, probably the two best pitchers in the A Sun conference beat Arkansas twice, including beating them in Fayetteville earlier in the year in a knock in the knock conference in the midweek. They're a team that has a lot of, a lot of power in, in the offense we had Coach Jenny Parsons on our podcast recently, and she talked about how this team is so connected and they used last year to kind of be that building block to launch them to the success that they had this year. If Central Arkansas is a two with that pitching stat, with the, they have the arms and they have enough offense where they can make a James Madison-like run, or in this case, for the sake of the question, a Texas-like run, Two supers, two Oklahoma City, and depending on the matchup, they could do some damage. Jordan Johnson, FGCL, uh-huh. slice and dice. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think the obvious answer is Auburn, and it's because of Maddie Pinta, but also it's because Auburn plays with this us against the world mentality that is very similar to what Texas did in the postseason. Texas was like, "Oh, we're not a seed. Okay, so everybody hates us, and we're going to use that as fuel." I think Auburn does something similar where the way that they react is if like nobody expects them to do anything. Right. And I could see them with that kind of swagger and that kind of confidence also behind the talent of Maddie Penta in the circle, who has proven that she can be a workhorse and throw a bunch of innings. If she needs to, I could see that Auburn team going to Oklahoma city with that formula. We both like doing this little crossover with our friends, Eric Lopez and Victor Anderson, as we steal second on the out of box podcast, gentlemen, Best of luck on uh, your Selection Sunday cavalcades and escapades. Extravaganza. Yes, everything else that will happen on that night, I'm sure we will all. Yeah. Yelling ahead and, and screaming. Yelling, weeping, gnashing of teeth, and calling people and things farcical. Yes. Yeah. Or a new word. Who's to say? Come up with something different. It's, it's we your find, we will, pod we will select. I look forward. I'm looking forward to just texting Gray at 2:30 in the morning to, hey, what do you got at the 15 seed line? And we just compared notes what we have, and as we pull our hairs out in the middle of the night. Uh, the worst. I, yeah. The 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 15, 16. I just can't. I can't. Anyway, <laughs> thank you so much for hopping on the show, guys. Appreciate you guys. Thanks, guys. So there we go. That's the crossover event with Eric and Victor. Tom, always fun to reconvene with our friends, and I, you know. I gave away a couple of the bracketology things, but I didn't want to give away the whole farm because sure. we're about to round third, and I'm going to truly reveal my soul. Here we go. Yeah. I, I'm i sure everything has come perfectly into into focus. Oh, yeah, totally. I, I mean, everything is clear. Sure. And as Facebook says, Alabama's not making maternity. No. So. Forget hosting. I'm not even going to play. 
Oh man. No, yeah. Alabama's is hosting. But where are they? Mm. I'll tell you for now when we come back here on the Out of the Box podcast. for joining us what a what a show this has been what a jam-packed show wow the only thing would be better is if we just somehow got finley traxel on the show with us here today i will say shout out again to finley traxel again yes uh, and jennifer connelly for exactly. yes and jennifer connelly obviously <laughs> all right mm. shall we play a game but a different kind it's time for bracketology in a way it is kind of like the movie saw because i feel like i'm in a trap yeah and and Eric talked about it. I echo his sentiments. We're going to truly find out what matters very quickly on selection night. Because there are so many teams that either have good RPIs and a resume that doesn't really match up with it or have so-so RPIs, but a really good team sheet, a lot of really good wins, a lot of good strength of schedule. And what is going to be most important for this selection committee because it's 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 a different thing every year you never know what it's going to be non non-conference schedule is that going to be number one is it going to be the eye test is this going to be the year where they decide head-to-head and conference championships really do matter mm-hmm. who knows is overall record more important than ever before because the other interesting factor is there are a lot of teams who have the eyes have the quality wins have the rpis have the metrics but have also lost a lot right like alabama like arkansas yeah so it's so confounding and I did my best. I trust the work that I've done. I trust the data. I trust what we've learned from all the past years. Mm-hmm. And I put together the best list I could. Okay. And then that's all you can do. That's right. And then I want you to I want you to to hammer me with some questions. Okay. Because I think a lot of people are going to have questions just about all of these teams. One Oklahoma. All right. Set in stone, not changing. Congrats. Two UCLA. Set in stone, not changing. Congrats. Three, Florida State. Four, Oklahoma State. Five, Stanford. Six, Tennessee. Seven, LSU. Eight, Northwestern. Nine, Washington. Ten, Duke. Eleven, Alabama. Twelve, Arkansas. Thirteen, Georgia. Fourteen, Texas. Fifteen, Baylor. Sixteen, Louisiana. First four out, Auburn, Clemson, Oregon, Wichita State. So your potential supers matchups would be one Oklahoma, 16, Louisiana, two UCLA, 15, Baylor alarms. Mm. Just saying. Okay. Three Florida State, 14, Texas, four Oklahoma State, 13, Georgia, five Stanford, 12, Arkansas, six Tennessee, 11, Alabama, seven LSU, 10, Duke, Eight Northwestern, nine Washington. Super safe. Oklahoma, UCLA, Florida State, Oklahoma State, Stanford. We've said that for weeks. I put Tennessee back up there because I think worst case scenario is they're an eight. If they they lose quickly in the SEC tournament and the committee decides to drill them for non-con SOS, I still think they'd be top eight. Okay. Super's bubble, Northwestern, LSU, Duke, Alabama still with a shot. We can explain the 2019 theory if we want to. And Washington. Regional safe, not sure I see a path back up to top eight, Arkansas, Texas, and Georgia. And regionals bubble, Baylor, Louisiana, Auburn, Clemson, Oregon, Wichita State, and I'll include Florida on there. 
because if they win the SEC tournament, then I could see them backdooring their way in as a 16, setting up the original scenario we had three weeks ago of OU Florida in Supers. Wow. All right. Uh, first question I would have would be Oklahoma State at four? Really? Yeah. They're not playing well at all. I know. And like, not good. No, they're not. I concur. Okay. And again, I, I think a big part of it is that's not really a question. I was just I know. Stay, I know. You sound like the commenters on the D1 softball <laughs> podcast. So the committee keeps telling us, and I've read the graphic myself on one of the SEC Network Plus broadcasts that how you finish matters. I just can't find any evidence of that. And when you look at the totality of Oklahoma State's profile, there's still so much good here. RPI did finally bump down a bit to, to five, um, but they've got nine RPI top 25 wins. That's more than Stanford. Same number as LSU. Three top 10 wins, 20 top 50 wins. Not a lot of team have reached a 20 RPI top 50 win plateau. Worst loss is Iowa State, who all of a sudden is playing pretty good softball right now. Average RPI wins is good. Average RPI of losses is good. Just the whole picture does not, I think, suggest that Oklahoma State should bump down enough. Now, is this the year where the committee starts to value how you finish? Is this Oklahoma State finish so bad that you can't ignore it? Maybe. We also have to look at the fact that, you know, it was Oklahoma and it was a Texas team that is on this list. So it's not like you got swept by Kansas and iowa state um i i just i think the overall picture is is still clear enough to where oklahoma state is safe to host a region or to host a super and also i couldn't find any reasons to put any teams above them this week okay well i was going to ask you about the team that on your packet is right underneath oklahoma state in the seventh spot lsu um is maybe lsu the team that needs a run the most in this SEC tournament to solidify their spot where they stand right now in the in the seedings? I don't know if they need a run, but they probably shouldn't lose to Ole Miss. Mm-hmm. You know, I think even if they go one and one, that might be enough. They've got a lot of top 50 wins. Same number of top 25 wins as Oklahoma State. SOS at four. Non-con SOS at 10. Really, no bad losses. McNeese at forty-four, like that's fine. Yeah, there's a there's a lot more good on this profile. What LSU was missing was more high-end wins. And in the last two weeks, they did win a game at Alabama, and they won the series with Georgia. So adding to that best wins mark that we've got here, I think one win might be enough to lock up LSU as a top eight seed. And uh, one of the teams that we've talked about a lot, and we talked about with Eric or with Eric and Victor and. Uh, we've been mentioning it all year. Duke is a team that has those metrics that look really good, but the eye test and some of those other metrics outside of the RPI maybe not the best. What what is it about Duke that keeps them? You have them at the, at a ten, but still an opportunity to be a top eight. I don't know. I wish I knew. RPI loves these people. They were up at six going into Sunday. Was it their scientists that created the RPI? Maybe. Okay. SOS is fine. 18, non-con SOS, 17. Like, those are good, but that's not really better than most people around them. Two top 10 wins, fine. Five and six against the top 25. That's not a lot of wins, and it's a losing record. Yeah. Only 14 top 50 wins. Northwestern has 20. Tennessee has 23. 
Arkansas has 18, Alabama is 19. Like there are just too many teams around them who've done more. The only reason they're as high as they are is because the RPI's got them at seven. And I can't rationalize putting Duke where if I were on the committee, I would put them myself, which is probably 13 or 14. Mm -hmm. But because of that RPI metric, Duke continues to linger as a potential Supers host. Right now I have Alabama at 11, which, as you said, would match up Supers if Tennessee is the sixth, another trip up to Knoxville, which I think may be the least palatable of all the possible situations. Maybe I can actually go to Litton's for real, though. Well, that's true. I, just no bone fish. Try not to get food poisoning before we go to the best burger spot. But <laughs> what is Alabama's ceiling and floor now as it stands? I'm glad you asked. Mm. So I brought this up on Twitter. There is a 2019 theory that I'm working where Tennessee is the Alabama of 2019, where Stanford is the Arizona of 2019. There are a lot of similarities that I drew between profiles and RPIs. I pulled up my old document from the first year of this podcast and started to, to compare notes. And I, I was looking at Florida's and I was wondering, hmm, who could be the Florida? Ooh. Exactly. I said it just like that in 2019. Who could be the Florida this year? Florida, as we all know, 12 and 12 in conference play, went into the SEC tournament off a home series loss to Mississippi State, won the SEC tournament, and got the five seed. I think the most comparable profile is Alabama. Now, I don't think Alabama would get as high as the five because that Florida team did not have a loss to Kennesaw or Lehigh or some of the lower end stuff. They're sure. actually worse loss was Mississippi State. Yes. So, Which apparently meant nothing. Uh, apparently. Yeah. yeah. So I, I think the ceiling would probably be seven, but that would require winning the SEC tournament. You know, more realistic ceiling is probably nine or ten if you get some folds right above you. And the floor, a loss to, say, Mississippi State, they're the weaker RPI team, would probably mean 13 at worst again depending on what happens around you big 12 tournament will will have a lot of say in what the potential floor is for teams like alabama arkansas and georgia and that brings me to the last thing about super regionals i know the committees will say until they're blue in the face they don't try to match up super regional opponents but do you think that there is a situation where they will say we fed poor ucf to oklahoma last year if we're going to give a non-Power 5 team a host, let's not make him the 16 seed and maybe even move up Louisiana Tay to the 15 and then match up Baylor and Oklahoma in Super Regionals and allow Louisiana to do something other than just go and get destroyed in Norman. I tossed around the Baylor scenario because I think if the committee did want to create a storyline, Baylor's the only team that's beaten Oklahoma this year. And they haven't had to play him in Norman yet. So I don't know, but, but I, I don't think that there would be a legitimate effort to have the group of five team avoid Norman. I think if Louisiana does host, which right now it's like a pretty good RPI at nine somehow. Again, again why? I, How? I, I don't I don't know. But if that holds, they're going to host. And I think where they host all depends on what happens above. Let's say both Baylor and Texas are one and done in the Big 12 tournament, Louisiana could be your 14 if they win <laughs> Sunbelt or even just get to the championship. So I, I see a lot of 
fluidity in Louisiana's seating, probably nothing higher than 14, maybe, maybe 13. Well, I want to make sure I mention Tennessee. Okay. Because I've seen a lot of people online being like, your top four seeds are Oklahoma, UCLA, Florida State, and Tennessee. And I'm telling you folks, hold your horses. If Tennessee loses to the winner of Florida, Kentucky, maybe loses to an Arkansas or Alabama in the SEC tournament, I don't think they're going to get a very favorable top eight seed because of a 109 non-conference strength of schedule. I will again point out that every living, breathing person who has seen Tennessee on TV and in person will tell you Tennessee should be one of those top four seeds. Right. They're that good. But that non-conference strength of schedule is just something that is going to weigh them down. And I mentioned them being the Alabama of 2019. You know, we never really talked about this because at the time we we did not because it wasn't really properly communicated. We didn't understand how little winning a conference meant. And if Alabama won that tournament, I think that we would have seen Alabama at the five or at the four, but they didn't. And the committee didn't care about standings. So Alabama was down at the eight um, based solely on the amount of quality wins that they had in the number one RPI conference. Tennessee's going to be in the same boat if they don't win the SEC tournament. If they do win the SEC tournament, probably four, maybe yeah. five. But if not, then I'm just saying Lady Vol fans pre- prepare for, for something farcical because your profile is exactly what Alabama had in 2019. And if you want to hear how mad we were that night, archives are open. Go listen to that episode. <laughs> and if that does happen, uh, our friend Brian Rice will probably have something very similar to talk, talk about uh, because it, it would be equally farcical if they, you know, if say they say they make the finals and lose by one run. <laughs> so it's like, I mean, and that's to Georgia, right? Which is l- literally exactly the same thing that happened to Alabama. Or actually, here it is: they make it to the finals and lose by a run to LSU, who they swept in Baton Rouge. Exactly, one hundred percent. God, that was such a good episode. We Still need, one of our most listened to. We need to time. send it to the committee right now. You know what, committee? Put Tennessee low. I'm ready for another big old numbered episode. Oh, my God. Let's go. Brian Rice will call us and say, I'm coming I'm like, on your I'm show. I'm driving to Tuscaloosa now. <laughs> Scoot over, boys. And we'll say there's no room. <laughs> Which is true because this is a, it's right. a small room. I'm it not is. making a joke. Brian, you're welcome to come on the show if and when Tennessee does get screwed. Okay. Let's head home. When we come back... SEC tournament picks off the wall. We'll wrap it up and get you ready for postseason. That's on the other side here on the Out of the Box Podcast. Is it written? Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome back to the Out of the Box Podcast. We're heading home. Seem, on the plane. I was going to say, you seem excited. I am not. Mm. Because I have to do picks. And yeah. I lost the regular season battle. Boom! After winning last year for the first time, I promptly lose the belt. <laughs> but, you know, Tom, you took some risks. And I had some openings. I got five right last week. You got two. Yeah. But you end up winning 26-22. Yeah, woohoo! So we, we've got a postseason edition of picks coming up. We'll go through the entire SEC tournament. And then, of course, the NCAA tournament, which we will do next week during our selection show, reaction show. We're not picking every game of the NCAA no, tournament. No, we just pick okay. the winner of a regional. Okay, all right. Okay. And then, Thank yeah, you. Good. We go round by round. <laughs> yes, but... <laughs> That would be a five-hour-long podcast. No. Well, we've been close before. <laughs> okay. We're heading home. Great, Tom. You know that by now. The SEC tournament begins, as you're probably listening today, with the 12-13 matchup of Mississippi State and Missouri, and then all the action really kicks off on Wednesday. You've got games Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and, of course, this could all be in flux because of the weather, and there seems to be true, genuine concern about it. You know, normally we say, eh, It'll probably rain just a little bit, but I, I've looked ahead. We're talking like rain all day yeah. on multiple days. So so this could even be a moot exercise, but we're going to do everything that we can to get the SEC tournament in this weekend. I can guarantee that. Yeah, and the SEC tournament has never like not been played. So, I mean, they'll, right. they'll, they'll do everything they can if that means we're playing at 8 o'clock in the morning, if necessary. I assume they'll be doing it. Yeah. So, so I'm looking forward to that 7.50 airtime one, one of those days in the morning. Just make sure I'm awake, please. Yeah, that'd be great. Okay, that's why we room together. Yeah. So we've got the brackets in front of us, Tom. As the regular season champion, we'll go round by round, and you will make the predictions first. And normally we just skip the playing game and you know for time, but it directly impacts what Alabama's going to do. Right. So we're going to pick Mississippi State Missouri to start things off. And I'm going to start things off. I'm going to go chalk in the 12-13. I'll say Mississippi State is able to hold off the Tigers, and I'll go with the Bulldogs. I'm also going to pick Mississippi State. Samantha Ricketts, something about Ricketts and Mississippi State. They just play well at the end of the year. And I think that they're going to be able to get past Missouri. They got outmatched in the first game against Arkansas, and then games two and three, they responded really well. Mississippi State was pretty much with Auburn all three games right. over the weekend. So I think Mississippi State is just playing overall better with less dips, and I like the the Bulldogs to play Alabama on Wednesday. Okay. So now we'll go up to the first game on Wednesday, which is the 6-11 matchup between LSU and Ole Miss. Ole Miss obviously coming off of the high of what happened on Sunday, but overall... Um, you know, didn't have a great weekend against Alabama. 
Uh, LSU is coming off of a good a good weekend against Georgia. Um, I just think LSU is going to have a little bit too much for the Rebels. I'm going to go with the Tigers. Totally agree. LSU, different team with Taylor Pleasant's healthy. The pitching staff looks really good. It also looks like Allie Kilponen is fully back to normal as well. We saw her pitch well in Tuscaloosa. And then this past weekend threw really good against the Bulldogs. So I think LSU is going to get out of that and take on Auburn the next day. Uh, the next matchup is the is game three. It's the 7-10 matchup. Texas A&M the 7. South Carolina the 10. I think this is maybe the most intriguing matchup of the entire uh, Wednesday uh, second day of the tournament. Feels uh, like a coin flip. Yeah, it, it really is. Um, and I think if you're Bev Smith, the question is, do you pitch Donnie Goldburn in that very first game or you try to hold her for the second game? I think you gotta you got to go with Goldburn. And if they do that, I'm going to say South Carolina will get the victory. I'm going to agree. I'm going to go South Carolina as well. It's an interesting point for South Carolina, right? Because they're going to make the tournament. They're comfortably in. But they're... You know they could win this tournament and they won't sniff hosting so right like what are they playing for uh, i think it's just to get yourself in the right mindset for the postseason and in the postseason they're going to be throwing johnny goborn a lot and by postseason i mean ncaa tournament i think they start off the sec tournament postseason by throwing goborn and beating texas a&m who did not play last weekend does that help them or does that hurt them i think we'll find out fairly quickly yeah uh, the next matchup would be the five seed Alabama against both of us have Mississippi State in that matchup. They say even if Ali Shipman isn't available, and assuming that Alex Alter or somebody else gets to start outside of Montana Fouts, I just think Alabama's better. It's tough to beat a team four team four times, uh, but I think Alabama's going to be able to do it. So I'm going to go with the Tide. I am as well. Last year, the first time Alabama. Did not win at least one game in the SEC tournament in the Patrick Murphy era. I think that streak restarts. We've always said it's not a jinx to pick Alabama to win once because they always do it. <laughs> right. Didn't do it last year. I think they do it this year. And the last matchup on Wednesday is slated to be the 8-9 game, Florida-Kentucky. Um, it's postseason. It's Florida. They're going to have, you know, they have so much offensively. Kentucky has just been so up and down. I can't get it. It's not that I've been able to get a, a good read on either of these teams and the fact that they just played. It's postseason. It's a neutral field. I'm going to go with the Gators. Again, I'm with you. I think the thing I most trust in this game is Florida's offense and Skylar Wallace. And I think Florida pitching can get one win. You know, we we talk about how weird that pitcher's duel was because Kentucky was holding down Florida's offense. Well, Florida pitching was holding down Kentucky's too. Right. Grace Lorsung, your FTCL player of the week, had hit a solo home run to win that game. Elizabeth Hightower threw decently well. Yeah. So, again, we'll see. All right, we moved to Thursday, and right now all things are equal, Tom. Amazing. We have agreed on everything so far. Not sure if we'll agree here, because I'm going to pick LSU to upset Auburn. Yeah, I can't get on board with that. I'm taking Auburn. Matty Penta... The question one is Matty Pinto going to pitch in this ball game? Probably so, but you know maybe Mickey tries to to hold her back one time and, and use her for both Friday and Saturday. But even if she does, uh, like you said, a healthy Taylor Pleasance, you know Auburn has an outside chance to try to get in as as a regional host. LSU is trying to solidify themselves as a top eight. Uh, I think this is a a huge game for the Tigers of LSU. Uh, so I'm going to pick LSU to win it. Outside of the top of the seventh in game one, LSU could not touch Matty Penta. 
So I think they're going to continue to struggle here. I think you will see Matty Penta in this game and probably the next one, which could come back to haunt them maybe in a later pick, but we'll see. Ooh, yes. Oh, wow. Second matchup is uh, we both have the two seed Georgia taking on the 10 seed South Carolina. I'm going chaos at the top of the bracket. No game way. Talks. South Carolina keeps it rolling. Wow. Well right. done. Thank you. I'm taking Georgia. Okay. You know, again, though, like you said earlier about Alabama, Mississippi State, it's hard to beat a team four times, and Georgia swept South Carolina. We'll see if Donnie Goborn has what it takes to quiet the dogs. And I, I think this game will determine whether a future pick for me is accurate. Not just whether Georgia wins or not, but also how they come out. Because the way that LSU series ended was pretty demoralizing, losing in a run rule in the last regular season game. Right. And losing a doubleheader, uh, getting swept in that doubleheader to lose a series. You know, their bounce back is going to be, I think, really critical for what kind of run they go on in this event and in the NCAA tournament. The next matchup would be the host and four seed Arkansas against the five seed Alabama coming off of the win over Mississippi State. And I'll continue to go with the chaos. I think Alabama is going to be able to get it done. I think Alabama will win this game, too. And I think a big part of it is how Alabama lost the Monday game way back in March when oh, these yeah, teams yeah, faced yeah, off. Yeah, yeah. And I, I know it's all, you know, let's forget. I, I don't even know what you're talking about. But at right. the same time, that should that the way that game went should help Alabama win this game because it should piss them off. You know, the How many chances you had to win on a great night with a great crowd with a great Montana performance, I think considering you're going to have fresh Montana starting is a really good sign. And, again, another team that for the most part couldn't touch her in conference play in two starts, I think Alabama's going to win this one. And Arkansas struggling a bit coming into this weekend uh, and maybe feeling, you know, the home field can either be something that's really, really helpful to you or it can be a really big burden to you in this SEC tournament. Really, the only team that has really good success as this tournament host is Alabama. I think Alabama's the only host teams to have ever won the tournament. Right. Uh, so it may be a situation where uh, some of those freshmen for the Razorbacks may be feeling the pressure a little bit and press a bit. And if you're, if you're pressing against Montana Fouts, good luck. And then the last matchup would be the one seed Tennessee against Florida. Here's where I think the chaos ends. I think Tennessee beats Florida. I do too. And I think the most compelling storyline here is who does Tennessee pitch? Do they go Rodgers here? Do they save her for the next day against potentially an Alabama or Arkansas? I think either way, you probably want Ashley Rodgers available, considering yeah. who you might see, either Dels or Fouts. I, I, if I was Tennessee, I would do the Pickens Scott Shaw combo here, and then. But that's so. I mean, Florida hit yeah. them. Yeah. yeah. So I, I've got Tennessee. Okay. All right. All right, Semi. So here, here's what we've got. I've got Auburn, Georgia. You've got. LSU, South Carolina. Of course. So let's throw it back to the early part of SEC play. You know, you know me, noted South Carolina homer. Of course. Yes. Auburn, Georgia. Remember when we talked about that series about how Georgia stole that one away from Auburn? You could argue Auburn was a better team for the majority of the series, but Georgia won yeah. in Athens. South Carolina took one at home against LSU on a Saturday, Sunday, Monday series when Donnie Goborn first introduced herself sure. to the SEC. You're up first. Who's getting to the finals out of LSU in South Carolina? Cinderella run will come to an end 
And I think LSU, just because I I think the Gamecocks will run out of gas a little bit, even though they'll have played the same amount that LSU will, but I think they're probably going to be having to ride either a Goldburn or, or somebody else a little bit harder than LSU will to get to that spot. And I think in general, offensively, LSU's got a little bit more, uh, so I'm going to go with the Tigers. I'm going Georgia. My analysis, you know, I, I think Auburn is going to want revenge so bad that they're going to press. They're going to go a little bit too hard. Georgia might be the only team that's hit Matty Penta pretty well in SEC play. LSU series uh, aside, the staff, Walters, Kerpix, they've been pretty solid. Kelly Macy's done some good innings uh, in the last month, and I, I still think this Georgia offense is just too darn good. So I've got the dogs in the title. That sets up, we both have Alabama and Tennessee Ooh, boy. in the other semifinal. 2021 flashbacks right here, Tom. Yeah, yeah, things went really well for the Tide in that one. I think almost, regardless on who pitches on Thursday, if this matchup does happen, it'll be Fouts against Ashley Rogers. Yeah, I think it'll be a back-to-back matchup for Montana Fouts. Ashley Rogers, either her second in a row or her first outing in the SEC tournament. Tennessee, one of the few teams in the conference that had extended success against Montana Fouts this year. Uh, So I would think that she would certainly be out for revenge if revenge is a factor in that situation. And we've talked about it, you know, several times. If that home run, if that grand slam is fair Mm. from Callie Hevlin in game three, how different that entire game, that series could have been and how different all these standings and seedings and everything could, could have been. Uh, But it, it wasn't meant to be there. I think it'd be meant to be in Fayetteville. I'm going to pick Alabama to get the upset. I'm not. I'm going to pick Tennessee, and a big part of it is because I think it continues to build the narrative that we're potentially looking at for supers. Okay. I don't think. Oh my gosh! If because regardless I, of what happens, if Alabama Tennessee matchup in supers after this, I know, and I I think because the the way I feel like it normally works, the winner here I don't think would advance if they met in supers and i think if tennessee does go pickens got shawl fresh ashley rogers against a montana fats who threw the day before i think you've got a little bit of the edge there as great as tan has been sure numerically rogers has technically been better caleb rose said she might win and certainly could win sec pitcher of the year the one caveat to all of that is one team has hit Ashley Rogers this year, and that was Alabama in game three of that series in Knoxville. So I don't think this is a scenario where you go in thinking you don't have a shot and that Tennessee's all of a sudden going to win 6 nothing, or even like the score that we saw in game one of that series in Knoxville. But I think that the power of Kiki and the power of Ashley get Tennessee to the championship and what I'm sure would be just a great broadcast for us. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Oh, man. All right, championships, you've got LSU-Alabama. I've got Georgia-Tennessee. We have not seen this, the one that I have this year. We have seen yours rather recently. Yeah, we have, and Alabama got the two uh, two out of three against the Tigers in Tuscaloosa. I think, though, the issue would be in this situation that I don't think Montana, I don't think you'd want to pitch her a third straight day. Yeah. I think you would... Maybe depending on how many pitches she had to throw in the first two games, you know, she's always ready to maybe come in in a, you know, in, you know, cl- close out situation to start an inning, by the way, make sure that caveat because coming in mid inning has not worked in nope. those situations. Wisconsin Montana. did not work. No. Ole Miss did not work. Yeah. So uh, if, if she is going to come in 
as the closer, do it at the start of the inning. But that being said, I think Alabama, not that they're just happy to be in the championship, but I think, you know, you go earth, wind, and fire against LSU, see what see what can work there. Yeah, I I think the run would come to an end. I think I'm going to go LSU. Okay, and I think, honestly, by that point, for your bracket, and I think you can make the same argument with mine, you would have done what you needed to sure. do. Now, if you're in the tournament, you're wanting to win the tournament. Absolutely. You will do everything you can to win the tournament, but I don't think you throw my fan of outs three straight days or, against... God forbid, four. Right, against elite competition in a tournament that if you win it, you maybe move up two, you know, two seed spots. Right. Because the top eight thing is just a theory. Right. I mean, we have no, I'm not on the, the phone. There's, there's no guarantees on any of this. No, but I think Alabama would put out the best lineup they could and try to win the ball game. Yeah. And I think it would, I don't think it would be a, you know, a blowout either way, but I just think, I, I think LSU maybe in this spot, it means a touch more. I don't know, but I, I would, I'm going to go with LSU to win that one. I'm going with Georgia as my SEC tournament champion. They haven't seen each other. Maybe that's really bad for the Georgia offense, but yeah. you know, maybe it's good. And, and I think a big part of it is I, I don't see a world where Ashley Rodgers would start this championship game. For for Tennessee to, to get there, yeah. I don't know how she doesn't throw against Alabama and maybe a little bit against Florida. If that happens, she's not starting this championship game. So if Georgia's ready for Pickens and Gottschall, then they've got a shot here. I am taking the Georgia Bulldogs to win the SEC tournament. So Gray has Georgia. I have LSU. I don't feel great about it, but that's what we got. Well, I mean, you can make an argument for anybody on here, except for maybe Mississippi State. I could make a Missouri argument because they've got so many arms that can go for extended amounts of time. Mississippi State, I think, lacks the people who could just throw six innings. Yeah. You know, they, they send out a lot of people for two and three and four, but as unpredictable as we talked about earlier with uh, with the in the circle guys as unpredictable as the sec has been this year i just don't see it going chalk i think there's going to be upset someone is going to make a run that is playing on wednesday in my scenario uh, both teams in the finals will have played on wednesday i think that we are potentially totally discounting texas a&m here Oh, for sure. Uh, which that, which the is the I, scariest thing when I look at my sheet right now. I probably struggled the most on making that pick and then having South Carolina making the run was I'm I'm not sure if they get past Texas A&M. That offense was hitting so well at the end of the Missouri series, and they've got so many pitchers that you can just throw in. If Madison Preston is on, she can be South Carolina. If Emily sure. Levitt is on, she can be South Carolina. Absolutely. Emily Kennedy is somebody who could – carry A&M to the semis or maybe even deeper if need be. And at, tournament play is no different from regular season in the fact that the toughest decision from, from any coaches they talk about is when to make the pitching changes. Coaches making the changes at the right time, I think, are, is going to factor in hugely in who wins and who loses some of these games. Oh, gosh. You could say all that stuff is off the wall. Oh, you could. You certainly could. But instead... We'll actually dive into the true insanity, if you will. Put on the jacket, buckle, mm. behind the back, buttress, buttress all you want. Play the drop. It's time for Off the Wall. Stop complaining when we win. You know, differentiating between facts and opinions, people. I've seen enough to know that I've seen too much. The conspiracy heard round the Facebook. Get your tinfoil hats out. 
Let people enjoy things. First off, red pen, please. Please. I can't believe we're talking about it. It's so asinine. It's like I, I, I had a thesaurus out looking up ways to describe dumbassery. Don't send novels to the coaching staff. Farcical. Absolutely ridiculous. All right, Tom. Kick us off. The off the wall after a series win near sweep that was derailed on Sunday. Well, for there my, were a lot of candidates. There were, and for my own sanity, I didn't go to the the comment page. I'll be honest, there were too many. Uh, I got scared away. Yeah. There were like three hundred and sixty comments. I was like, I don't have the time. Right. Well, again, the uh, overall theme of why are there twice as many comments when Alabama loses as opposed to Alabama winning? One that continues to come up, and I saw it actually on. This was on a comment on. Once again, congratulations to Larissa Pruitt for winning the uh, SEC Freshman of the Week. Was great job by Larissa. Team 28 looks a little bit brighter now. Again, we have zero clue what Team 28 is going to look like. There, we don't know who's going to be in the portal. We don't know anything about the, the freshman. We know nothing. One, why are we even thinking about Team 28 right now? We're still playing with Team 27. Right. Team 27 still trying to win championships. Did you hear the thing we just did? <laughs> right. One, why are we even discussing that? But two, it, it's just there's no way to know what the team is going to look like next year. Not even it should not even be a discussion point right now. The way that college sports is with the transfer portal and everything else, no clue. So why why even bring it up? I concur. I think it's crazy, and I to kind of piggyback off that. Anytime one of the freshmen does something good, and there's a post about it. You don't have to say, hope she doesn't leave through the portal. I understand that last year might have emotionally scarred you. There's some PTSD there. For sure. But you don't have to keep saying it. I have no concerns about this freshman class. As we've talked about on the air, I think that this is the best in-team culture that I've ever seen. That These players love each other. They spend time with each other non-stop doesn't matter the class doesn't matter who you are they are together all the time we've seen them at breakfast with freshmen and seniors and soft like everybody blended together the the nickname thing yeah. that i think is just going to be a bama you thing i'm not going to tell the full story is freaking hilarious and that's something that the team did that they created themselves yeah. the glitter mm-hmm. i mean they are all in on each other yeah so I, I honestly have no concerns about present team culture. No. And again, I mean, I didn't see what was happen what happened last year coming, so I'm not sure. gonna I'm not gonna make a And there could always be one or two. Sure. I'm and not gonna make fine. a grand statement about it. But yeah, I I would not I would be ten times more shocked this year than last year if there was some sort of, of large group of people moving on. But you know, yeah, there's there's no reason to bring that up every time a, a good thing happens for a freshman. Okay, I again, I didn't go through the entirety of the Sunday comments. And honestly, there was really nothing from Friday and Saturday. So it was kind of a bare list. But I did breeze through a couple in the Facebook group and a couple on the Alabama main page. And again, I, I commend a lot of people who tried to have substantive conversations about some of the decisions made. I think 
you know, Patrick Murphy pulling Alex Salter, putting in Jayla Torrance, when he pulled Torrance, when he put in Montana Fouts, certain discussion to be had. I think that there were a lot of strategic things that could be debated from game three. But then people would say in response to that, gotta go, need to be fired. And, and just, and not trying to have a substantive conversation about the state of the sport and, and the state of the team and the, the way the game went. And they expect people to listen to them, I guess. I don't know. I mean, look, if there is a game that goes poorly, there are things that you can discuss and talk about and debate and analyze. And if you use facts behind your reasoning, then I'm cool with it. But if somebody makes a point and your response is, doesn't matter, coaching sucks, fire everybody. Like you're, you're, you're making the page and the conversation dumber. You are doing nothing to elevate the discussion. And you're getting tuned out. I will, I will promise you that as you're well. Right. If a guy, if your entire stick is no matter what, if Alabama wins, it's in spite of Patrick Murphy, or if Alabama loses, it's because Murph is a terrible head coach, despite the fact that he has a 779 winning percentage as the Alabama head coach, a national championship and multiple hall of fames. Yeah, if you think that 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 guy can't coach, then you obviously don't know what a coach is. Uh, but all that being said, you you can disagree with you know coaching decisions, but if every if, if no matter what your your point is always fire him, then you're just going to get tuned out. Right. And I saw a lot of people going after Lance too on Sunday and. Look, Lance. Lance makes the pitch call, but I promise you, just as like the same point that we made with Steph. I promise the that, home yeah. run pitch, fatty down the middle. One five two is not fatty down the middle. No. I promise. And a lot of people were using that game to say, "Wow, this, you know these pitchers haven't gotten better." I I heartily disagree. Oh my gosh, Tana's been the best she's ever been in her career because she's gotten something fresh, something new, and she's been able to focus on other areas of her game that have expanded her repertoire. If you don't see improvements in Alex Salter, then God help you. And I think Jayla still has some of the the internal mental stuff that she's got to work on, and I think we saw that kind of come through on Sunday, really for the first time in a bit. But her stuff is just as nasty as it's ever been. And had two innings of really good relief before – the seventh inning, right? Was, if she can, know. if she can reel in some of the control and harness what she's got into better location with her pitches, then she's going to be filthy. And Lauren has had great games as well, but some tough outings here and there. I still, I still think that we haven't seen her best as of yet, and I know what that ceiling can be, and I think that'll come at some point, if not this year, then next year. But to say that the pitching has hasn't improved, I think is false. Uh, I think Lance is doing a really, really darn good job. And I saw frequent off the waller saying, well, we hired somebody from Illinois. I would go look and see what Illinois pitching staff was doing before Lance got there. And at the start of Lance's career and where they were at the very end. Yeah. And you know, that's kind of the way that a coaching career goes. You're very rarely going to get a marquee job you know, right out the gates. It's what you do in those, in some of the tougher places to coach um, that really kind of show some of the places like Alabama, Oklahoma, UCLA that, okay, this is, you know, we need, we need to go after this guy. Right. Uh, so I mean, that's, that's 
stupid. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, we can get Beth Torino on the phone right now and ask her her thoughts on Lance because sure. what I got was glowing. Absolutely. So, yeah, I, I mean, just ridiculous. Cont- another continuous point that I hear is that, well, if we didn't have Montana Fouts, yeah, it's a lot of teams. You take off a generationally great player, they're not going to be good. That's not a... Let's take Valerie Cagle off Clemson and see how that goes. See what happens. Does that mean John Rittman's not a good coach? John Rittman's still still good. Right. Again, another point that, one, I don't understand why as an Alabama fan you want to make it, but two, it's not not something that exists. It's not a real point because Alabama does have Montana Fouts. Why would you want to take Montana Fouts off this team? Yeah. Just enjoy her perfect game that she just threw. She's been she's been the arbiter of 40% of all the perfect games that's ever been thrown by Alabama. Just enjoy that. Don't work, don't say, well, if we didn't have her, if Alabama didn't have Bryce Young, it would have been a different 20, you know, 2021. Just don't understand. I don't know. Being angry. Okay, that was off the wall. And now, Tom, you know what we really enjoyed? Food. Oh, all the time. Yeah. The Tom's Hungry segment has returned because, surprise, we went on another road trip. I think that's 15 now trips on the road. Right, yes. Take it away, partner. Where we go? My gosh, Oxford came out strong. There, I think there are a couple of podium possibilities out of Oxford. Really? Interesting. All right, give it to me. All right, we'll start. The first day, we got there. We got there actually a little bit ahead of the team on Thursday. So he went to- What? I know. Wow. Went to the uh, South Depot Taco, uh, which- uh, Again, I'm I'm down for a good taco, a buffalo chicken taco. I'm I'm down for that, and the uh, chicken club taco or Caesar club taco, which is outstanding as well. I got the chicken club taco, and then I got the Asian pork taco, which I thought was absolutely phenomenal. So A plus in that regard from South Depot Taco, a place that I went in 2019, mm-hmm. and still just as good five years later. And surprisingly, in Oxford. Saw my first of many Morgan Wallen shirts. So apparently they're not holding a grudge. So. I have, it was like Justin Bieber, Morgan Wallen at the stadium. That's pretty much it. And then like right. they snuck in the occasional Victorious song. Yeah. Wild. And Bittersweet Symphony over and over again <laughs> on Saturday. The longest uh, senior recognitions in possibly history uh, pregame Saturday. Uh, and then uh, Friday morning, we uh, checked out Big Bad Breakfast and, uh, I'm down for any breakfast spot, and this was really, really good. Had the uh, omelet with chili and a red-eye gravy with the biscuits. My breakfast was very, very good. And then, like, just a few hours later, because that's like two the, and a half. Like the only chance we could, went to Ajax Diner. You guys went a little bit lighter, and I was like, well, I'm only going to come to Ajax once, so I, I didn't. I <laughs> uh, paid for it a little bit later on. Uh, but the meatloaf, which was, uh, which was recommended to us from Brian Rice, was a great choice. Yes, and I got the fried shrimp po' boy, which again, seafood, hello. And guess what? Ate seafood on the road, didn't get food poisoning. Everything's so fine. It's a real dub. <laughs> I was great all day, all weekend. Yeah. Really. Uh, also went to a place called the Lamar Yard, which was just down the down the road from us at our hotel. Now I think this is the next day. For, yeah. And uh, I forgot to take the uh, for science picture of it. Uh, because we were getting ready. Well, we were watching the Oklahoma-Oklahoma State game. We had the Derby. The Derby. I was so upset with Kenny G for not intentionally walking T.R.A. Jennings. Um, but <laughs> You were mad. I, I mean, like, quite upset. Uh, so, but, <laughs> but it had a really good... Uh, the cheese sticks 
which you also got. I yes. We need to talk about the cheese. We things. we should. These are more logs. Logs of cheese. Yes, sure. A log, <laughs> indeed. And I love that they give you multiple dipping options: marinara sauce and ranch. Uh, these were these were thoroughly filled cheese sticks. Yes. Nate got the uh, the barbecue nachos, which were very good. Yep. Um, and then uh, we did kind of a whole yeah pass the plate sure situation. Um, and then I got the uh, barbecue sandwich with the coleslaw on the barbecue sandwich, which I think is always positive. And their loaded uh, potato salad, not not good bull level, but it, they were they were good. It yeah. was all in all, very good. A nice surprise. A place we never would have gone to ever in the world if our hotel wasn't just down the street. Right. And. Uh, cool ambiance. They had it's a yard. They have a like a yard out there. You, you can sit in, uh, enjoy a good drink. I wish they would inform. They would enforce the rules that are posted of the no unsupervised children, no running or throwing. They were zero for three on that. When you check every box, mm. then uh, yeah, you might have to chase something down the road. Also, multiple uh, sightings of Pete Golding, including at Lamar Yard. Very interesting. If you want more folks, you can ask us <laughs> right. when you see us. So there's that. Also, a first watch was within walking distance of the hotel. That's apparently in every every college town except for Tuscaloosa. This is this is the discussion so, I'm ready to have. Let's get on that, Tuscaloosa. Okay, so my biggest argument with, with Tuscaloosa has been the lack of breakfast places, and we're slowly getting there. Uh, just love coffee on university. Great babes has been a little lacking the last few years, but overall still pretty strong like there are places that are popping up but we don't have just a tried and true breakfast place to go to outside of another broken egg and first watch should be here i think it's a prime candidate for the chewy spot on mcfarland it would get the business that would never be an issue uh, as much as we would love to see a torchies go there i think first watch actually makes a lot of legit economical sense yeah and I would I would highly recommend that. Uh, and then we wrap things up because it was so popular, couldn't get in there the next day on Sunday, and you went over to the high rise donuts, and we got we got some good donut holes, uh, a different take on a glazed donut. I thought it was good, so I, I was pretty happy with the overall uh, food accomplishments we had this weekend in Oxford. So there you go, Tom's hungry, and I, I was, and I'm not anymore, because I'm very full. I'm actually quite hungry right now, so let's wrap up this show. <laughs> Podcast plan this week. The SEC tournament is coming up, which means the selection show is on Sunday, which means, yes, America, next Monday night, we will be recording the selection show reaction pod. We will have had a day to sit amongst our thoughts and i'm sure we will have plenty of those thoughts some might be good some might be bad tbd Mm -hmm. but that episode is consistently one that you the folks at home do not want to miss yeah and uh, hopefully we'll be discussing uh, how much better alabama seating is than most people were expecting entering uh sunday um we'll see if it's going to be a farcical in other ways right and of course We'll do the usual thing as well. We will break down each regional and then we will pick each regional and then get ready for my favorite scoreboard update day of the year. Oh my gosh. It is literal Christmas for Gray Robertson. Yeah, we're just keeping track of every game. You will know who is moving on. Who's moving on as Alabama is hopefully moving on themselves 
at a regional play. And that's next week. This week's right. scoreboard updates, they're really fun too. Sure. Because then I'm literally, during our game, updating Bracketology. So there's there's a lot of stuff. We're going to make sure that you're up to date on everything this week and then, of course, next week as the NCAA tournament starts. And, Tom, when it's the postseason, we highly, highly, highly recommend that you stick with us. We will, as I said, provide updates throughout every moment of these Alabama games, not just what's going on with the Tide, but what is happening around the country that will impact Alabama and also call a game here and there. Sure. And if the people want to hear that at the SEC tournament and beyond, where do they go? You listen over the air in Tuscaloosa on 97.5 FM, online at nick975.com, as well as the MeTV 975 app and the Varsity app will have everything for you as well. And we are always going to be on the air 10 minutes before first pitch for Alabama. Um, If it's a situation where there is a weather delay or anything like that, there may be times where we're not necessarily coming on right when we when we were planning on coming on right uh there's also a situation of open radio boost depends on who's playing in front of us things like that uh so always be keeping up with alabama's official social medias as well as our social medias we will let you know as much as we can when we know it also we are aware of the audio situation from the Ole miss series and that has been addressed and they're working on it there you go. So there we go. That's all we can do. And of course, our social media is at outofbox underscore pod. I'm at Gray Jira A-Y Gray mm-hmm. underscore Robertson. And you can get me at T Canterbury RTR on the Twitter. Postseason. Can you believe it? No, but let's do it. Let's do it. I mean, buckle in, trust the process. Buttress. Enjoy the ride. Yes. Be all as nervited as you want to be. The nervitement can be felt from Columbia, Missouri. To Gainesville, Florida. Mm. From the rocky shores of Hawaii to the sandy beaches of Hawaii, (laughs) the SEC tournament is our home. Every U.S. American will be journeying to Bogle. (laughs) We just clashed so many references. This episode needs to end. Quickly. (laughs) From my partner, Tom Canterbury. I'm Greg Robertson. Thank you to Caleb Rowe, Eric Lopez, Victor Anderson for joining us. We will see you in Fayetteville at the SEC Tournament and next time on the Out of the Box Podcast. Enjoy the mayhem, everyone. <laughs>